Welcome to Bury Our Bones With, the show that lives, breathes and dies the movies you love and the TV that just won't be forgotten. We are your hosts, me, Jimmy Murphy, and with me as always, the Christian Bale to my Christian rock, Ryan Etherington. In today's show, we'll be burying our bones with the 2008 Christopher Nolan masterpiece that is The Dark Knight. So join us as we put on our rubber gimp suits, go heavy with the guy liner, and find a sarcastic old cockney gent to give us unsolicited life advice. Visit the Marco Kane Tangerine Emporium for all your citrus fruit needs. Visit us in-store to peruse our limitless supply of Burmese citrus fruits. Plus browse our selection of Lunchables. Or shop online using discount code IBLOODYTOLDYOU to receive a 10% discount on our Lean Mean Tangerine Machine for all your juicing needs. That's the Michael Caine Tangerine Emporium, Bond Street, London, England. We have tangerines the size of rubies. So it's the big one. It's a masterpiece, a an event in and of itself, The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. One of your favourites, one of mine? It's easily in my top five. Easily. Right on. Yeah, it's, yeah. There isn't a viewing where there isn't something new to pick out, something to look at, something to go, never made that connection before. It's not perfect, but I don't think there is a film that is perfect. But I think think it's probably as close to being perfect as probably there are anything else. July 18th, 2008 is the release date. 2008, yeah, yeah. Which means that this film is just coming up on... 15 years old this year, July 18th this year. 15, 15 years, years already. She was only 15. She, she was only 15 years old. Which you wouldn't think it to watch it. It doesn't feel like a film that's 15 years old. No, no, it doesn't feel dated. Um, yeah, the special effects hold up. It's not ropey. Um, Yet. <laughs> there, there are elements where you can go, you can query a, a choice made or you can query a logic or something along those lines. But I think I know that I do that just so that I don't don't become biased towards it. So it's, it's almost like, like I'm, lo- I'm, I'm looking for something yeah. because then I can say, oh, yeah, it's not a perfect film like I've just said, you know, mm. because I think as soon as you, as soon as it becomes a perfect film, any criticism that you hear towards it against it then becomes almost um, personal (laughs) personal and rather debilitating yeah yeah Yeah, it's a good bit i remember when it came out i was really really excited for it when it came out obviously i'd seen uh batman begins which is i think three or four is it 2005 2005 yeah and I, i remember when batman begins came out because i wasn't expecting it um I didn't even know a new Batman film was in the works. Quite frankly, after the the Schumacher films, kind of just written them off. I don't think I'd even seen the last, the last, I think, was it Batman and Robin? Was that the last one before that? The Clooney one anyway, wasn't it? Um, Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I don't think I even saw it. I've seen it since. Um, I remember being in a a comic book shop buying a Batman t-shirt 
and the, the man in the comic book shop was like, there's a, new, there's, a new, there's a new film coming out. And I'm like, all oh, right, yeah, that's good. So, you know, it's uh, taking it back to its dark roots. I was like, didn't, didn't Tim Burton already do that? I think we've already been there. He's like, no, that's no, Christopher Nolan. I never heard of Christopher Nolan at the time. Not a lot of people had. Mm. It, <laughs> was it like Memento, I think? And, uh, by that point, it was Memento and Insomnia. Insomnia. Uh, they're probably right, the two yeah. big films that people yeah. remember. Did also release a very, sh- say a very short film, hour and ten minute film called Following, which is, it's not a bad little film. Not I've a bad never little even film. heard of it. Yeah. Uh, which was his first kind of big, well, I say big, but it wasn't big, but essentially the first large production larger production right right uh yeah well i I remember when it came out the the first one obviously batman begins and i loved it i thought it was really good had very low expectations loved it it i don't i wouldn't say it went under the radar because i don't think it did it did at all but when this film was coming out the sequel around 2008 i feel like i spent a lot of my time asking people if they'd seen Batman Begins, because I'd mentioned The Dark Knight, and they'd look at you like, oh, you're a bit old for that. And I'd be like, have you seen Batman Begins? Like, oh, go watch it. And then it feels like everyone I then told to go watch Batman Begins watched it and went and watched The Dark Knight afterwards. That's how it feels, you know what I mean? It felt like a lot of people, it passed a lot of people by that first film, and then this movie, especially with obviously the tragedy with Heath Ledger sort of propelled it media-wise to another level, but it's such a good movie. Batman Begins for me was was what opened the opened my eyes to Batman. Obviously, I was aware of it. I'd seen bits and bobs. Mm. I don't think you could grow up in the 20th century and not know something about Batman, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't necessarily a fan, you could mm. say, and watched it one Saturday night with with my parents on a, on just, oh, I'll stick that on, see what that's like. Thought it was good, thought it, you know, kind of let it just wash over me. And mm. then by the time The Dark Knight came out, again, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I remember watching that Batman Begins film. That was okay. I think I remember speaking to you about it and you were saying, have you seen it yet? Mm. And I was like, no. And he's like, you need to see it. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching it and going... Why have I not liked Batman up yeah. until this point? Why, what, what have I been? What doing? have I been missing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I, obviously, unfortunately, up until that point, not much. Yeah. <laughs> Cinematically speaking, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and I think obviously we we come at things from a slightly different viewpoint because of you know you you different were at a different time in yeah. your life when yeah. you saw it as as was I. So mm. it's, it's slightly different watching it, but yeah, if Batman Begins was the thing that opened my eyes to Batman. Mm. The Dark Knight was the thing that made me go, oh, you've got to go and do some stuff on Batman. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even if it, like, I remember thinking, I know nothing's probably going to be as good as what I've just watched, but I just want to consume the lore. consume, yeah. You know, and so I think very shortly after that, I was like, I'm going to get all the Batman films and I'm going to watch them all. Yeah. How, did, yeah. how did it feel going backwards? Because 1989's Batman, Burton's Batman, that's my Batman, really. Like I would have been 10 when that came out and it was everything to me and all of my friends. It was everything. That was the movie. And I really like Batman Returns. I know it gets panned a lot like the sequel he did. I think it's great. I think both of those Burton movies are brilliant in their own ways. I think like, um, I think it's true to say like Batman's never really truly been um, 
put on screen as he is in the comic books. It's not really ever got a proper representation of him, but those Burton movies, and then obviously later on the Nolan movies, are just some of the best. The best, I, I wouldn't even call them superhero movies in the way that I think of a Marvel superhero movie. They're not. There's, there's something other to well, them, you know? This, the Dark Knight trilogy basically said to anybody who scoffed at comic books and scoffed at uh, superheroes, they said, it's not a superhero movie. Mm. This is this is action. This is an, you know, as good an action movie as you will find. Mm. We're going to ground it in reality. I, you know, yeah. I'd venture to say greatest action film of all time. I think, you know... Right. I, I don't want to commit quite to that but it, again it's up in, there for you it though, has yeah. to be in that conversation how did, because... so how did it feel going back so if you you started a, in real terms you probably started at Batman Begins then yeah that probably would have yeah. as I say I can't remember watching anything Batman but properly watching Batman mm. based before that point and I can vividly remember watching Batman Begins so that would have been the first taste the dark night going back how, what I found, have, how old would you have been at Batman Begins era, so roughly? Batman Begins 2005 I'd have been about 13 perfect age so, for it yeah. yeah and it was that kind of thing going oh this is pretty cool like mm. why have I not why have I not seen this kind of stuff before like obviously it then becomes very uh, abundant why because I think that Dark Knight trilogy it's very difficult to compare them to anything else in that you know, and to be fair, anything that's come since, mm. I think that is it's such a standalone thing where it isn't a comic book movie. It's not a Batman movie, in a sense. It's just it's just a movie, mm. which you're not. I'm when I watch it, I'm not thinking necessarily about the law. Or I'm not thinking about, oh, you know, that's a nod to You're this. You're not thinking about the canon. Like, I, yeah. I'm just watching it and I'm just, mm. you know, I think we both have similar kind of minds where we watch a film and we kind of, we look at it and we analyse it and we kind of go, okay, well, narratively, what's that trying to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I think anybody listening will kind of get that impression from, from us speaking about movies. But this movie, I didn't make any notes. Yeah. And I didn't realise I wasn't making notes until three quarters of the way through the film because I'm just I'm just there absorbing. <laughs> Engrossed. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so comparing it to particularly to Joel Schumacher's films, because it they're just they're so far removed. It's mm. it's you, you could call it anything. Yeah. It's so far removed, it doesn't have any real link and basis. Whereas I think the, the Burton movies Again, they offer something entirely different. They, you know, they go into a different. Uh, there's a darkness in the Burton movies that aren't in the Schumacher. Movies, yeah, yeah. There's you know. a. It's almost. I think probably because it would have been the first, you know, big budget Batman movie that wasn't based on the '60s TV show, mm. and so it was like again subverting people's views and going. This isn't the this isn't your TV show. Yeah. This isn't the pow. Yeah. Like, there's elements of that. And then Schumacher back. tried to take it back to the sixties TV show. Yeah, I think films. I think it's a quote he was used to saying saying uh, Batman isn't camp enough in reference to <laughs> Tim Burns yeah, movies, yeah, which yeah. to be fair was are still point. pretty still pretty camp. It's quite camp, but yeah. done in a way where it's there's a dark as you say there is a darkness to it. Hmm. Uh, what I say I saw I heard um, the person who. Um, was sort of single-handedly, like doggedly 
pursued getting the Burton Batman movies made, uh, being interviewed, he said no one would make them because of the 60s Batman. He would he worked in like in the movie industry and he'd take it to heads of like, I guess Warner Brothers, whoever it was, you own this property, you should make this movie. And they were just like, no one wants to see a Batman movie. It took him years, like 10 years to get it done. And it was like a personal passion project for him. And eventually it happened. Um, and at that point, everyone was shitting on the 60s Batman. Oh, that, that's campy rubbish. These are the, this is where it's at. Like you say, it's quite camp really when you watch the Burton movies. There, there's definitely campy elements in there. But I think when you get to, to sort of now with Batman, I think people have realised there's room for the 60s Batman. There's room for the 80s Batman. Not a lot of room for the Schumacher, <laughs> Schumacher Batman. Um, and obviously, I think a lot of that is down to Nolan's representation of the Batman films. Um, he managed to take them to a place where, where not only fans were really happy they finally got to see a Batman. Again, it's not the Batman from comic books, but they got to see a, a really decent representation of Batman in film. Um, and he also made it bankable. Apparently, that when, that when the first one came out, the, the studio were hesitant after they saw it about how, how much free reign they gave him to make it dark and realistic. And they were talking about putting in cuts and all of that sort of stuff. But they didn't. They let it go out. And then you get, to, you get, you get that first movie... Like I say, was a good, successful movie. I mean, you get to Dark Knight, and it it's literally leaps and bounds ahead again from that first uh, Nolan movie, isn't it? Yeah, and in ter in terms of bankable, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, so it was given a budget of one hundred eighty five million dollars, which is a substantial budget mm -hmm. by no means. Let's yeah. not diminish that. About two hundred twenty eight million in today's money. But in its opening weekend, bearing in mind it had a $185 million budget, it made $158 million in its opening weekend. Wow. So you've made, I mean, when you, you know, when it's a $40 million film and you make back a third of your budget or a two thirds or, mm. you know, half your budget, that's really good. But when it's $185 million and you make back almost, 22-ish million shy of your budget. Yeah. It's kind of... In the opening weekend. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's an element of like, they must have been, when when it was released, there must have been that palpable kind of, yeah, huh? we've got something here. Good. And in, in terms of, so US and Canada gross 534 million. Wow. Which is over double... And then some, so three times almost the budget. But in terms of the gross worldwide, just under $1.1 billion. That's box office. That's at the box office. Wow. And today that's what 1.25 billion in today's Just money. on the box office. Because this and is also the time of Blu-ray. Absolutely. And <laughs> that, that bank, I mean, how many copies have you bought of this film? I must have brought about six different copies yeah, of I've this got, film. In this house at the moment, I think I've got at least four. I think and I've got at, four, the, at least four copies of this movie. You and know I, I, mean? you know, I haven't watched this for about a couple of years mm. because one of, I suppose one of the drawbacks of this film, if we're really reaching, which I think we are, is that 
it doesn't feel long when you're watching it, mm. but it's one of those films where you need to say, have I got the next three hours yeah, yeah. to kill, yeah. you know, allowing for toilet and refreshment breaks. <laughs> and recording podcasts afterwards. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, you need to set aside a good, you know, a good amount of time. So that's kind of, that's probably why I haven't watched it more because yeah. I have to go, have I got time to just sit down and watch that? Which in today's world, we often don't. Uh, so thank you for this podcast for giving me the opportunity to watch the films that I love. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, you know, I, I have a, a a sort of very loose rule that that films should only be about an hour and a half long. Like, you've, I've, like and then, but I always caveat it by not every film can tell its story in an hour, mm. half, hour, 40, 90 odd minutes, you know. This is one of those films. It's a three-hour-long movie. There's a lot going on in this movie. The pacing's fine, though. That's why it, I think that's why it doesn't feel long, because it it doesn't hang about. It's not rushed, but it's not hanging about, and the pacing is just right. And there's always it, there's always something just about to happen. As soon as something's finished happening, there's a breath, and then it moves on to the next thing. And it, the pacing, the editing, and obviously the directing, that is, is amazing. And it keeps a three-hour-long film feeling fresh for those three hours. Yeah, and I think we are in a day and age where... For, I, I think this is probably one of the films that started the trend. I think it started a hell of a lot of trends which have now become cliched, overdone, and to the point where it's a little bit tiresome. Not when you watch not when you watch the, this film, but just in general, like, we don't need to see this again. We don't need to see that again. Mm. But this, for me, I mean, putting it all out there, I know I'll get some criticism for this because he, he is a bit formulaic in the way in which he does things, but this, for me, cemented Nolan as mm. being a trustworthy director. So if, if I read, okay, this next film is 182 minutes long, Usually I'd go, for example, Avatar, no way in the world I'm going to see that. Like, I don't want to sit down. If it was Nolan directing, I'd, I'd go and do it because I trust. And that's not, and, you know, I trust James Cameron to some extent. Mm. But this was the first, probably the first, the first pro film that was quite long where I'm going, that did not seem like two hours and 24 minutes. Which yeah. again, by today's standards, is not that long. Yeah. It's it's in it's long, but it's not it's not getting to the Avengers Endgame, top, you know, yeah. runtime three hours ten, I think that is. Which yeah, um, when Lord of the Rings came out, which is to my mind in modern times, those first films that were pushing that sort of two and a half, three hour. I think I can't remember. I think the special editions are three hours. I think the cinematic ones were about two and a half, maybe. And I remember that being incredibly long, especially the last one with the 300 endings. <laughs> it has. Love the films, don't get me wrong. You I've know I mean? not seen a single one of them. I've never been not? interested in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And the fact that they're that long means yeah. I'm definitely not interested in them. Right, right. Yeah, see, I love them. Uh, you couldn't watch them now because the special effects, groundbreaking at the time, and they're still really good. They are of their time. I, I, I saw... Um, or I read someone asking Peter Jackson about, is there any chance you could go back and just tidy it up a bit? And he was like, 
they don't even make the computers that was made on anymore. <laughs> They're on hard disks. You know what I mean? Floppies. Are you telling me it was all made on beta, man? <laughs> yeah. um, I love The Lord of the Rings. Interestingly enough, I've never seen an Avatar movie. Um, and it, um, I have no interest in it. Same, same sort of thing, but it's like how you're saying you trust Cameron. Cameron's a great director. We all know that. Uh, there's a there's a criticism that I often hear leveled about Avatar is there's just a lot of long flying shots in it. It's it's essentially a long tech demo. Yeah, you know, yeah. which once you've seen it for ten minutes, oh that's great. That, it's not going to deviate apparently, that much from someone that. said to him. Do you really need this this particular flying scene to be this long? People will get bored. And he said, if I want to see it, someone else wants to see it. Like, that was his attitude. It's like, you have a different motivation, though, you know? So it's very hard to say. But it's, it's like you say, it's a film that started a lot of trends. It's, a you know, that, uh, with the superhero genre, if you like, you know, three-hour-long movies maybe being one of them. If you look at the movies that were out, the other superhero movies would have been like what Spider Man in their first attempt at a Hulk would have been around the same time. So the Toby yeah, yeah. Toby Maguire era Spider Man, yeah, Sam Raimi Spider Man. That was, was two thousand and two. I think by two thousand and four we had Spider Man two. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, two thousand. I think two thousand. I want to say eight is. Yeah, is so the we third. may have had Spider Man in, in the same same year, perhaps yeah. two thousand nine. I can't quite remember from memory but they were I know they they mention it in knocked up didn't they i like spider-man 3 you know um (laughs) yeah there's certainly films that i'm sure that's eight but i could be wrong yeah you know they are they are so much comic book films that yeah you know that's why this was so because everybody looked at it going it's interesting if you look at how marvel now dominates cinema and then you look back when like the first batman came out particularly You've got the first Hulk film didn't really work. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man films were incredibly successful. And up until the... Th- I mean, they were all successful, but no one liked the third one, I think. Everyone liked the first one. Yeah, everybody hated the third yeah, one. And yeah. for, for good reason. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So Marvel hadn't hadn't found their feet at this point either. Batman was still the superhero movie, wasn't it? He was the bankable one. Yeah, it certainly influenced the the ability to go... You know, just from, you know, one thing that the Marvel universe, cinematic universe, I mean, that wasn't a thing necessarily. Didn't exist, no, that's right. But now it's become a thing. I think a large portion of that is because the trilogy of The Dark Knight tells a through-line story. Mm. It's not, oh, now we're doing this story of Batman and it's not really related to the last one. Yeah, yeah. Everything has that kind of through-line and it's almost... Sorry. It's it's one story. It's not mm. three stories that happen to be part of the same franchise. Yeah, that's a good you point. Know, one, it's yeah. Like, for example, the X-Men films. Three completely different stories. A little bit of harking back to the old ones, but there's no real kind of looking at character yeah. development from the last one. That's right. You yeah. know? Yeah, because you would have had the first X-Men movie out at this point as well. Yeah, you, that's sure, 2000. Yeah, yeah it's a good so, movie. Yeah. Uh, and then 2002, I believe, was X-Men, X2. Mm. And then I think 2000... And... X2's not a good movie, though. I think X2's the the best of that early trilogy. Really? Yeah. I really like the first one. I like the first one, but there's a lot of flaws with it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Always is. But... Um, it's What's interesting about it is that first X-Men movie, when he's saying, what would you rather see, yellow spandex? And everyone's like, ha, 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 because they're all in leather, aren't they? Yeah. 
and it's that, not that, long, and not long was, after that. They're all in their proper superhero yeah. colours. You know? Absolutely. At the time, that was like <laughs> mm-hmm. laughing at the audience because yeah. why would you want to see him in yellow spandex? That's in the comic book. Whereas yeah. now it's like, yeah. why are you not in your yellow spandex? You yeah, know, it's the complete complete yeah. 360. Absolutely. It's interesting, like you say, because the beginning of this movie all like picks up from Batman Begins. You see what ha- what becomes of the Scarecrow. You know what I mean? And you mm. see the vigilantes. Like, it literally ties up threads left from it, the first you know, movie at the very beginning just to get I mean obviously not the very beginning opening scene which is amazing um, but shortly thereafter yeah I mean that that opening set piece is uh, I mean it's flawless it mm-hmm. just again how many super and to be fair how many big budget action films do you get get a little bit of a little bit of an action scene bang we go to titles mm. there's no titles at all no that's right there's the there's the you know the the blue fire of the of the bat symbol and then we're into it you know no that's very true yeah so obviously directed by christopher nolan as we've mentioned uh and much like a lot of christopher nolan films he has a big hand in almost every avenue of it so he also co-wrote the story uh, or the screenplay, I should say, with his brother Jonathan Nolan. The story, he had help from David S. Goyer, who apparently asked the question in an interview, why did Chris put my name on this? I didn't do anything. <laughs> I had a little look at it and advised on some revisions. So mm. and that's uh, him saying that. Honest. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and if you've seen any, of our, <laughs> seen any other of David S. Goyer's work, you may go, that makes a bit more sense. Really, he's had some good good films, but not films where to the same kind of stature. And mm. uh, he also Nolan also produces this as mm. well with Lorne Orleans, Charles Roven, and his wife Emma Thomas. And I think that's why everything kind of feels a little bit more thought through because it's not one person bringing an idea to another person who mm. then puts that down on paper and then that person takes that idea and takes it to the producer and the producer goes, oh, okay, I'll do this. There is that through Singular line. Singular vision. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that makes it very easy to kind of go, uh, that's not what we're doing here. Mm. Whereas when you've got, you know, too many cooks and all of that, it means it's very easy to go, oh, well, this isn't what we set out to do. It's yeah. become something completely different. Yeah, or especially with these studio movies. Like, it's a tale as old as time, the studio involvement in movies just destroying anything that they come there because they think they know best. And I think it's, it's probably a testament. I would say they, they gave him Batman Begins and went, okay, do what you want. Then weren't sure if they'd done the right thing and then it was huge success. So then he's like, well, I want to control a bigger slice of it. And they went, go ahead. And this is the movie you get. That when the stu- it's like the studio getting out of the way, and all of a sudden you have not only a bankable movie, you have great art at the same time. Um, something they, that they've clearly failed to replicate since he's left. You know, they, they you know they gave him a lot of, a lot of leeway, mm. and again, he, not only did he build, as I said earlier, built the trust in me as an audience member, going, I want to go and see that, even if even though it's this long. Mm. Same with Hollywood, they've gone. Mm, you want to do a. You know, for example, Tenet, you want to do a three-hour film about what again? Same with Inception. What's that about? Mm. 
oh, we we give you more budget than we gave you for the Dark Knight because we we've seen what you can do. Mm. So you know, it sets sets the foundations quite a lot. Uh, I think it, for me as well, it's the first kind of eye opening gaze into the work of Hans Zimmer, yeah, which is as much a part of the movie as anything else. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of help. Well, I say had a lot of help. I think, but is also a credit from J- James Newton Howard as well, who uh, had a hand in this as well. To what extent, I'm not quite sure, yeah. but he's credited on there. And the cinematographer, which is uh, Wally, I'm going to say Feister. Cool. Because the way it looks, looks like a very different word, but let's go <laughs> Wally Feister, <laughs> who's worked on a few few Nolan films uh, until he decided to go into directing himself. Right. So there's So again... It's become almost a meme now, a bit like you, you get the established directors who use the same people, use the same mm. actors. I saw a meme the other day of because uh, there's some promotion about Oppenheimer coming out later this year. Mm-hmm. And there's a gif of uh, Gary Oldman, incidentally, in Leon the Professional, where he says, bring me everyone. He says, who do you want me? And he goes, everyone, in his, you know, Mm. maniacal way. And it says, Nolan casting for Oppenheimer, (laughs) you know. But again, that clout has come from the seeds that were planted saying, this is what I can do, Mm. you know. So there's so, there's so, so much to talk about in every avenue of this film that, we, you could probably do two or three podcasts, but we won't subject you to that. Yeah. So, obviously, we spoke a little bit about Christopher Nolan. So, previously, he'd only really done uh, f- following being his first major film, uh, and then Memento in 2000, and then Insomnia, mm. which, again, is a horrifically ra- r- underrated film. I thought you say racist. <laughs> <laughs> It's a horrifically racist Yeah, that's the director's film. cut. I, was uh, like, I don't remember that. It was quite no, a good movie. I think it's a really underrated film. Insomnia. Uh, yeah. That's Al Pacino, right? Al Pacino, yeah, Robin movie. Williams. Yeah, yeah. And it's based off a Swedish film with Stellan Skarsgård. Right. Uh, and again, that's the first glimpse we get of Robin Williams being not Bounce Around the Walls comedy. It's, he's, he plays a guy yeah. convict, uh, accused of killing and, and raping a girl. Yeah. Is it before one hour photo? It's around the same time, 2002, isn't it? Yeah. so it's two couple of years, maybe even one year before mm. one hour photo. But I reckon somebody saw Insomnia and went, why have we not done that before? Yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And I think actually it's quite interestingly goes into some of the casting or potential spoken about casting for this film because mm. one of the names that was potentially put forward and I know Robin Williams had a lot of interest in playing Joe in the Joker, but Robin Williams. Interesting. And not that we need mm. anything other than Heath Ledger's Joker in this. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go to bat for Robin Williams. I think one hour photo, Robin Williams, I think insomnia, it, Robin Williams would do a good job. I think it's one of those things. Your, your gut instinct is no. <laughs> like, mork, mork from ork. Like, no thanks. I actually think, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Di- Doubtfire. Yeah. She's gone a bit mad with a makeup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a dialed in Robin Williams. I could see it. In the hands of, in the hands of Christopher Nolan. Definitely. 100%. Because that's the thing, like, Heath Ledger's joke. Heath Ledger. 
as the Joker was a very controversial to- choice at the time. Everybody you know? hated it. I, I'll be honest, I wasn't fine. I thought yeah. uh, Killian Murphy, who'd already obviously had already played the Scarecrow, so there was no way he was going on to play the Joker. I was like, you should have saved him for the Joker. He's perfect, you know. Um, and I was like, Heath Ledger, I don't see it. I just don't see it, you know. I wasn't full of hate. That's not how I get down, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not going to be like on the internet complaining and stuff. But I was like, I don't see it. Yeah, and again, we spoke a little bit about instilling faith. But again, it's those kinds of things that says he's made a bold choice. He could have got he, he could have gone the easy option. He mm. could have just because I know Jack Nicholson was interested. He could have recast really? Jack Nicholson, and people probably would have liked it. And it would have been, I think, you know, mm. it's difficult to kind of how it would fit in that universe. But that could have worked as well. And that would have been the easy option. Mm. That would have been, first, Jack Nicholson, how can you go wrong? But he didn't. He goes, Heath Ledger, that guy from A Knight's Tale, the guy from Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. And everyone, as you say, everybody kind of went, what? What's that I can't see it. And I can still see those kind of threads. So I can remember when Dunkirk came out and everybody was harking about, they've got Harry Styles in there. Mm -hmm. What's going on? And I was like, I'm not worried at all. I, I remember saying to everybody... Don't worry about it. Yeah. Just do not worry about it. And they're like, but it's going to be so... Don't worry about it. And I watched it, and he did not feel out of place at all. Yeah. Coincidentally, look at most films he's been in since Dunkirk, and mm-hmm. it's like... Oh. There's Harry Styles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. that. Interestingly enough, I had the same thing, same conversations when The Dark Knight Rises came out, or before it came out, sorry, and they said, oh, they're doing Bane. And everyone was like... And I was like, trust him. Did you not see the last film? He knows what he's doing. Like I had learned, I learned my lesson the moment I saw Dark Knight and Heath Ledger's now iconic performance um, may never be topped, to be fair. Um, and then everyone was doing what people do, complaining about, oh, the wrestler dude. And I'm like, you know it's not going to suck. You just know. Like, having seen what he did with the Joker and with Batman Begins, the Scarecrow, he, the way he handled the Scarecrow was brilliant as well. Um, you you just have faith. You know what I mean? You know, I knew it was going to be good and Tom Hardy didn't disappoint, did he? You know? And and with the, with the casting of Heath Ledger, I've obviously said about Jack Nicholson being an easy choice. Some of the names that were in there are kind of more, not more interesting choices, but they're choices that kind of fit. So Paul Bettany was a name that that wanted wanted the role. Again, gangster number yeah. one. There's some menacing moments mm. in that. Yeah, I can uh, see that. You can. You, you, it's easy to see Adrian Brody, another name. He, the bloke from the piano. I think the acting chops. Of Adrian Brody is kind of what what yeah, means. It, I, it would, I I think it would be nowhere near the level of what yeah. what we've seen. But it's it's not a bad choice, shall we say? I, I can't get past Adrian Brody in the Predator movie anymore, though. You know that is some bad casting. Yeah, like Adrian Brody as a mercenary tough guy. I just even I just couldn't buy it. You know what I mean? And so you say Adrian Brody, and I go mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> it's soured your taste of it. Yeah, yeah. Every time I see him, I just see the miscasting of that Predators movie. Yeah. Steve Carell was also a name, which... Okay. I mean, I mean if you've seen him in Foxcatcher... I 
have not. He is, again, he is amazing in Foxcatcher. He it is a role where you go, it helps he's a little bit under prosthetic, so he doesn't quite look like the guy from The Office, the mm. US version, not the UK version. But, it, you know, so that helps. But there's, again, there's a menacing kind of unpredictable nature about it. So maybe not in 2008, but certainly mm. now is a choice where you go, uh, okay, yeah, I can yeah, see maybe. that. There's elements yeah. there. In the, hands, in the hands of a skillful director, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. And what's interesting is that with all of these names, despite you know, people saying, oh, they, he was originally a casting choice. All of these were people who wanted to do it. Mm. Nolan, from day one, pretty much, had Heath Ledger in mind. That's cool. Yeah. Which, I mean, tells you an insight into Nolan's mind where he, there's nothing really before in Heath Ledger's work where you go, oh, that's where I, that's that where I can you see. There, like, yeah. That's where I... So yeah. to make that choice, for bordering line on genius, so... Mm. Some other interesting... I think, it, obviously, the the biggest probably casting choice in this is obviously the replacement of Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes. It's a hard, I can't. It's, I find it hard to get past. I do. It's, it's one of those things. It doesn't ruin the movie for me at all, and, and I've got nothing against Maggie Gyllenhaal. But I would have loved to have seen what Katie Holmes would have done in this yeah, role, I in think this it's, movie. You know? I think it's probably the only thing that... And it doesn't take me out of it, but it's the only thing that dangers on taking me out of it mm. because it does feel like, again, because there isn't like, and not that there could be, you know, I can imagine in a Marvel universe where they have a little joke about, oh, you look different these days, that kind of thing, which yeah. I which I think I've seen when they've recast mm. or where they use somebody from a different universe. They go, oh, you look a bit different from the last time I saw you. And it's yeah, kind of like yeah. nod, wink to the camera. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, it's nothing against uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I think it is just because I think we grew custom quite quite quickly to Katie Holmes in that role. I thought, again, that was a really understated performance from... Mm. And I don't think that... I don't think Maggie Gyllenhaal goes over the top with it, but it certainly feels a little bit more... And perhaps, you know, perhaps it's the writing to try not... trying not to be biased in the sense of it's not quite, there's not a lot to really kind of play with. So, mm. And I don't know how much of that was because they knew they couldn't get Katie Holmes back, so they kind of drew back on that character and used that more as a motivational kind mm. of character rather than a character who has big influence on the story actively, shall we say. Yeah, do you know why they couldn't get her back? So I read that she decided to go and work with Diane Keaton and Queen Latifah in a film called Mad Money. I know the film, yeah. yeah. I have it's, no it's idea. It's not a good choice. <laughs> I, I have no idea what that film is. Wow. And, I mean, that is about... <laughs> could you imagine being in that position and going, yeah. no, I'll, I'll do this film. I mean, yeah. it's a testament to her professionalism by saying I've already signed up to this. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's like... yeah. That's no, not a knowing good what we know now, it <laughs> yeah, must be a yeah. really. She must. She must kind of kick herself. Yeah. Uh, mind you, she doesn't really need the money. Being, is she still married to Tom Cruise? Uh, what at the time of the movie? She was at the time. She was she, at the time. Yeah. Either way, yeah. she doesn't really need the money. Yeah. Uh, but it's one of those things where you go. That's that's kind of the, one of those big what if moments where you think mm. that. Yeah, could I would really... have loved to have seen what what she would have done with the with the role in the second movie. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and there's nothing against Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, it's like you say, it's just one of those moments. It's one of those things you 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 can't help but note when you're watching the film. I think some of the some of the choices that were involved were Sarah Michelle Gellar was a was a talked about name, which again I think that would have been. Okay, uh, might uh, having said that, if almost, it had been her from from the get go, I all, think you wouldn't notice it. It would be it would work and almost. You know I mean? and, Almost anybody in Nolan's hands, I don't really worry about. Mm. So, but it's a bit of a it, it's a bit of an out there choice, shall we say? Uh, Isla Fisher was another choice. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, believable. Mm. Emily Blunt, solid choice. I think at the time wasn't quite what she is now, so perhaps mm. that's why. Because they thought not that Maggie Gyllenhaal was necessarily a big name, but. Uh, and Rachel McAd- uh, McAdams was another one, which I think really, would have been a really yeah, good choice. That would as make well. sense. Yeah, but I think, I think the the difficult thing when you're stepping into a role, which un- unlike the previous films in the Batman kind of series, where they did have kind of continuing characters, but it wasn't necessarily a through story, so it didn't really matter if they were recast or not. Whereas mm. here. It kind of does because it is part of the same story. It's part of the same. Yeah, it picks up. You know, from the last movie. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because the the promise that she makes him that he keeps talking about in this film is made in the first film. It's not made in this film. Um, yeah, it's one of those. I think it, it's one of the first startings of a from a comic book film where. You can watch it without having seen the first, seen the previous film. Mm. But if you've seen it, it helps an awful lot because you do get all of those kind of. You get the backstory. That's the thing. It's the great thing about this movie, and obviously, there's no need for it. But um, I think we were talking about this before. I never need to see a Bruce Wayne origin story, but a Batman story origin story involving Bruce Wayne's parents getting shot in an alleyway ever again, ever again. It's one of the first things that happens in Snyder's Batman. You see them, them pearls uh, in the street again, you know. Mm. Um, so you get all that in the first Nolan movie, and it's done, it's done really well. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. And I, th- you know I, I, mean? I think at the time as well, we hadn't necessarily seen that done to death, so we accepted it a lot more because I think we probably only really saw it in Burton's Burton's Batman. Yeah, yeah. So when you've seen it once, okay, this is a different interpretation of mm. it. When you then see it second time third time a fourth time that's when you kind of go everybody knows his parents have been killed if you don't know the Batman origin story at this point why are you in the what are you doing in the theatre watching a Batman movie yeah Yeah. Um, so yeah so you don't obviously it's great you don't get that but you don't you get all of the the backstory leading up to this film is done in the first film. All that heavy lifting is done in the first film. How he knows Rachel, how they're... I mean, he mentions she's my oldest friend or something like that at, at one point in the film. Um, but they don't over-labor the point. They assume you've watched the first film and they just get on with it. And it's a three-hour-long film. If they wanted to, I'm sure they could have crammed some more... You know, do you remember when we were at school together? You know, but they don't bother. They leave it alone and it's, they treat you like an adult, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And... Part of that that same uh, ethos is an interesting little tidbit. So, Killian Murphy playing uh, Dr. Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. Scarecrow, mm. is the first instance of a villainous character being in a, sub- in a subsequent movie playing the same role. 
played by the same right, actor. Yeah, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. So yeah. that tells you about oh, it's not just the next Batman film. It's actually part of that same story. Yeah. So it's it you know, it has a beginning, has a middle, yeah. this is the middle, and it has an end, the Dark Knight Rises. Mm. And that's the thing, those opening those opening oh, 10, 20 minutes, whatever it is, where it is it's the epitome of show me, don't tell me cinema. Do you know what I mean? He he's not telling you anything. He is showing you, showing you that time has moved on. Here's some vigilantes dressed up like Batman. You know, here's the scarecrow. Here's the Joker that they dro name drop at the end of the first film, with, like with a uh, the playing cards. You might want to have a look at this guy, and you oh, I hope the next film's going to be the Joker. You know that sort of stuff. But he doesn't. They don't tell you anything. It doesn't. He doesn't say, "Oh, it's been X amount of time. This is now happening." That he shows you it, which is what great filmmakers do. They show, don't tell. And I mean, the whole film's like that. But those opening twenty odd minutes where he's showing you everything you need to know without repeating himself. It's all fresh. It's all interesting. It's all entertaining. And it does a brilliant job of introducing new characters into mm. a set universe that we've kind of already. Uh, already uh, invest, invested yeah. in. So obviously we've got Harvey Dent, a new character that which we had hadn't seen before in that iteration. Played again, not flawlessly, but played pretty well mm. uh, by Aaron Eckhart. Some yeah. other names that were talked about: Ryan Felipe, horrible choice, but in Nolan's hands, I'd give it a go. I think. I mean. Cruel intentions. For how those how, who are yeah, how to close? Up. How close? I mean, you only say he was mentioned. I mean, was it mentioned to Nolan and he went, uh, no. <laughs> All I've got is he was considered. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the same sentence, it says, and a much more believable because of his work on The Prestige, Hugh Jackman for the role of Harvey Dent, which, again, I think that would have been a really good choice. The Prestige is such a good movie. Easily my favourite film. Oh, really? We will get onto that one day. Yeah, 100%. So I love that. We won't movie. go too much into yeah. that, otherwise, it becomes. I do. I think you might. Was it, did you give me the prestige? Because everyone always confuses it with I've the illusionist, met, don't I've... they? Like, whenever you go, have you ever seen the prestige? For those who can't see, I now see them because <laughs> yeah. I hate the fact it's compared with the illusionist. It's, I know, right? And it's like, no, no, watch the prestige. It's, like, it's a great movie. It's like yeah. comparing Twinings with. Bargain budget. Have you seen this tea bag that's been here for a blue year? striped tea bag? Like, uh, yeah, it, but people always do. You know, what usually happens is people go, oh, "Have you ever seen that film, The Illusionist, with Christian Bale and and Hugh Jackman?" And you're like, "You mean The Prestige?" And they go, "Yeah, that's the one." <laughs> and those people, there is a special place in hell waiting for you. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So, so the work that Hugh Jackman done on The Prestige means that it's it's, it's a it's not too much of a stretch to see him in Harvey Dent. And actually, I think Hugh Jackman, some of his roles beyond that point, it's been, you know, we've seen elements of that. So I, I don't think that's too much of a of a jump. Yeah, he could play. because he, he, Yeah, he can play straight-laced with an edge, I think, quite absolutely, well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then lastly, in terms of casting choices, uh, so a slightly, probably comical, I suppose, from what I kind of remember, but Bob Hoskins was, uh, he auditioned for the role of Sal Maroney. 
So, which is played by Eric Roberts. <laughs> was he going to do his Mario voice? <laughs> <laughs> maybe Nolan said, we've already got one Cockney, we don't need another. Uh, oh, no, I can't picture that, to be fair. I mean, no disrespect again, to the late, great Bob Hoskins, man. Yeah. But... And here, here's a name which I think I'd give my left foot for mm. if there was a bit more meat on the bone in the script for Sal Maroney, James Gandolfini. He'd be brilliant. I mean, you yeah. don't even need to question that. You just yeah, he'd be brilliant. Uh, it is, you know, it's a sideways step. Yeah, it's yeah. it's Tony Soprano. It's not a stretch. <laughs> uh, yeah. But again, I, I think you know, obviously we've lost James Gandolfini and we've lost you know we've lost a few people. That, you know, mm. uh, but James Gandolfini for me is the one where. He's so underrated. Yeah. Like, I know people like him in this, you know, obviously love him in The Sopranos, mm. but he, like, horrifically underrated. He doesn't get spoken about enough yeah. how good he is. I mean, I, for those who don't know, I studied uh, acting and I can remember being given an audition piece, which is the speech that James Gandolfini's character uh, gives in True, Roma True Romance. Yeah, I know the one. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah. You got a lot of heart, kid. It's just the the element of just the believability that that killing people, killing this, you know, brutalizing this young woman is every day, is mm. mundane. And yeah. again, it's believable because James Gandolfini brings that that believability to it. And it's in such a Nothing is ham-fisted. Nothing is shoved down your throat. It's the kind of little, you know. I think there's a there's a line where he says, you know, blowing somebody's brains out—that's the easy part. That line in and of mm. itself, you go, what? What is he talking about? And here again, I think perhaps it's probably a good thing that he wasn't in this because there isn't enough on that character. He would have been forgotten in this because. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's, there's bits in here where you, you know, I like, I love Eric Roberts' portrayal of Sal Maroney, yeah, and it yeah. fits. But if you give somebody like James Gandolfini, I can imagine a lot of people would have said, "You've got James Gandolfini, and that's what you do with him." Yeah, they would have had to have bulk up that role a lot more for it to really get the, yeah, get, you, think, get the value for money out. By of it? 2008, do you think it would have been a bit like? What's, what's Tony Soprano doing in this movie? Um, playing a gangster. Because like you say, it's it's a sideways step for him. I mean, he's great. I saw him in um, saw him in some terrible Christmas movie with Ben Affleck once. Oh, is that Christmas with a crank? It, it's something, something like that, yeah. yeah it's, it's ben Affleck's I really... Mean, ben Affleck will do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> ben Affleck... It's it's a it's an odd film to watch. I mean, say what you will about Ben Affleck's acting, unless you've seen that Christmas movie, like it makes you respect his acting in other movies. It's so bad, I can't work it out. It's I can't work out what he's going for other than a paycheck. It's so weird. But Gandolfini in that movie is excellent. Yeah, I th I don't think there's anything, even the throwaway parts like. Uh probably a lesser known film a film called Fallen Denzel Washington uh, no not so John that. Goodman again great movie we will have to cover that at some point basically the 
very, very quickly. I know we haven't given the plot of this movie, but the plot <laughs> of that movie is there's a demon who basically can possess you through touch. And he's in the the he's in this this killer's body, mm. and he gets out, and he kind of goes on a bit of a kind of starts to torment Denzel Washington. James Gandolfini's in that, and there's a bit where he gets he gets this he gets the touch from this this demon, and it's like everything you've wanted. It's you know <laughs> yeah. same with John Goodman; he's good in that. But we're starting to digress into into other things i think we've got enough to talk about yeah, yeah, with, with yeah. this to it to be totally honest so one thing that i think is really really shrewd about this and i've always thought it but i've it's since been confirmed i've always liked the fact that we talk about origins and how much we've seen the origins of uh batman's oh sorry bruce wayne's you know origins and how we don't need to see it it would have been so easy to give you some backstory into Joker and to give you some, here's why he's like, here's, mm. here's why he's the way he is. You know, much like it done in, in, in the, the Burton, gives you a bit of context and a little bit of yeah. stuff before he becomes the Joker. Yeah. And I've always thought the fact that you have absolutely no idea who this guy is, other than the fact he refers to himself as the Joker, mm. just makes it that much more menacing and unpredictable because you you have no oh well okay i can understand why he's doing this because this is what this is what happened yeah. to him you can't do that because you've got nothing yeah you know they say in the movie we've got nothing nothing was found on him no id nothing mm. apart from some knives and some lint you know yeah yeah but the and, greatest um movie villains have no backstory you know what i mean and you give them backstory and it, it reduces them somehow no like darth vader you know, uh, you get to the the prequels, and it's interesting. As a fan, I like Star Wars, and I, I don't I don't hate the prequels the way most Star Wars fans do. Um, was it they say no one hates Star Wars as much as a Star Wars fan? You know, what I mean, um, but it does somehow knowing, like knowing his backstory. That first movie, it's like who is Darth Vader, and then you get you know you get the backstory, and it's fine. But then seeing his backstory as Anakin and you, you and the jarring nature of Hadrian Christensen, Christensen, hey, that dude, yeah, the jumper dude, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all, all the way up to essentially James Earl Jones, you know, um, and the, the Joker's one of those like the, you get the like you say you get the uh, Tim Burton backstory, which is basically lifted from the Red Hood comic book. Um, or the Killing Joke, sorry, comic book where he plays the Red Hood. Um, Killing Joke's an amazing comic book, um, and I think they lean into that a little bit with the Joker movie with um, Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, don't they? Yeah. You know, um, and that's a perfectly, I mean, perfectly reasonable film. The, the Joker movie, it's Scorsese esque and all that. It's fine, uh, but I agree with you. The fact that he keeps changing his story about his scars throughout the movie adds to that that you just don't know where like you think the first time you see it i'll tell you how i got these scars you go all oh, right there you go backstory and then he tells a different story and he goes to tell a different story and you're like it's like you say it's just that unpredictability that not knowing does the shark in jaws need a backstory you know what I mean? it's that sort of thing you know you know the mind the minds 
uh, imagination is so much more frightening than the reality. That's right. And, yeah. you know, it, take, it takes some, you know, elements of horror roots of the sense of, you know, we've got this creature, we don't really know what it looks like, that's the scary part, and then you see it and you're like, oh, mm. is that it? You know, and I, yeah. it's very similar here. And one of the things that I think Nolan, John Nolan and uh, David S. Goyer kind of spoke about was they didn't want to explore that and they used this quote... This was this was so that the character could be presented as an absolute, and it makes so much sense. You can, it is what it is. Mm. You you need to deal with the now and not worry about why he, yeah. where he's come from. Yeah, because if you do that, you're not ready for him. Yeah, can you be an agent of chaos with a backstory? You know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you yeah, can, yeah. you know, yeah. any any element of it means you can then start to predict the next move and. Mm. If your whole thing is about not being able to predict the next move, it's yeah, you, you yeah. know, some men just want to watch the world burn. You yeah, know? It's, it's clearly explained by Alfred, actually, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this. It's. Di I suppose the only thing that's difficult for me is I've never known Michael Caine, and probably very few people have of similar age and even your age. Not that you're that much older than me, who don't know Michael Caine as a bit of a caricature of himself. Yeah. You know, you you accept it because it's Michael Caine. I think anybody else with some of the things that kind of comes out with, you'd be like, what are you going on about? <laughs> you know, you know, I, he was given a ruby the size of a tangerine. Of a tangerine. You know. Sa tangerine. Yeah. Some people just want to watch the world, but... And it... So it would have been interesting had, you know, a different actor in that role. What, you know, mm. I, I kind of look at it and go, he is Alfred for me. There is kind of no other Alfred. Yeah. And so it's very difficult to see any other depiction of it. But I'm always interested, you know, Jeremy Irons in... Uh, Jeremy Irons is pretty good, actually, yeah. to be fair. He's, I don't even want to say the name type. of the film yeah. he was in. Yeah, uh, yeah. less so said that. about that. But Jeremy Irons actually is a really good choice. I think Jeremy Irons mm. did a really good job in that movie, to be fair. Also, Andy Serkis in, in The Batman, I think, is, is a fairly decent oh, choice course, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, so I, I, I can see why, again, it's that thing of, like, because it's Michael Caine, it means you automatically accept it straight away. Mm. So you don't necessarily have to do much with it. I think when it's a different actor in that role, you've got to work a bit more. And, you know, you there are very few actors who kind of their reputation precedes them. Mm. And you've got you've got two of them here. You've got Michael Caine, you've got Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Where you kind of, almost like the Joker, they're absolutes. You don't need to question anything, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think... I think very shrewdly the the script knows that about both of those characters in the sense of they say things where you don't need to you don't need to look too much into it you just mm. accept it at face value yeah well you bring you bring the pedigree of someone like Michael Caine who who could possibly be in charge of Batman Michael Caine and on a subconscious level as as the audience you accept that don't you in a way that you might not accept it from an actor, say you didn't even know, so, uh, an unknown actor, doesn't work, doesn't work in the same way. It's that subconscious, that's it, Carter giving him advice. You want to listen, you know what I mean? He's been on, 
he's been in movies since before I was born, sort of thing, you know? It's... Now, not a lot of people know that. I'm <laughs> still going to get a bit uh, Rob Brydon in a minute, isn't it? <laughs> You're not doing it right. You, you go slow and you go... You don't do the bit, broken uh... voice. I'm not going to bury another on. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> How many Batmans has there been? Uh, uh, yeah, I think I think... There's so there's so much about this about this film that is it opens the door to so so many other so many mm. different things that it's very it's kind of very difficult to not go off into different tangents and to focus on it because there's as I say there's just so many kind of strands and and one thing that I kind of picked up on this that I don't think any any superhero film had done previous, even, you know, Burton's Batman, and to the same extent, and I know people will probably argue Avengers Endgame, there isn't a film that puts the stakes up so quickly, so high, and manages to 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 make you want to know how the hell is Batman going to overcome this. Mm. It's very much a case of... You care about these characters, not necessarily in a deep, deep way, but you kind of you go, how is he going to get out of this? Mm. Because it's so, the stakes are so high. Mm. And the fact of the matter is with this is that he fails. Yeah. Batman fails. How many films in in its own film that isn't necessarily setting it up for the next film have Batman fail. Yeah. Or not even necessarily Batman, but have the villain fail. Usually it's a case of a bit like Infinity War in the sense of that's part one. This isn't the end of the story. You know, yeah. at that point, I think they probably had an idea they were going to make a third one. Certainly I, after they saw the figures. Yeah, I should think but so. But yeah, at that yeah. point, it's almost a thing of, yeah, if we get a third one, great. If we don't, this sits and stands alone. Mm. And it does because it, you've left with a, with a point where you go, Batman lost. Mm. Yeah, okay, they, he got the Joker in the end, but, but he lost Harvey cost? Dent, yeah, the yeah. White Knight. Yeah. They lost Rachel Dawes. He lost, he lost the soul of Gotham. He, they lost Batman. Mm. You know, mm. Batman, at this point, we're thinking, Batman, Batman's... you can't you can't go go from that yeah you know you can't jump jump anywhere i I find myself invested way more in this film than i do in any of the marvel movies when i'm watching it the stakes feel higher it's uh the joker is a villain everything he does is very unpredictable so like you say that the stakes get raised the stakes rise really quickly and in a really unpredictable manner uh, the the pure chaos of it. You think, and it's, what I find interesting about this movie is like, obviously, this is like the Heath Ledger movie. It, it just has to be, you know. He's not in it a great deal. When you really think about the screen time of the Joker, and that's like, and the this was so interesting about this movie is he does he manages to steal the movie with very little screen time. And the movie has all these other plots going on. I mean, we haven't got to the plot yet, have we? But it has all these other plots going on. He's in China. He's taking down the mob. Um, he wants to hang up his suit and hand it all over to um, the DA, to Harvey Dent. Oh, also the Joko's in this movie, you know. And eventually you get to Two-Face. Um, 
but it doesn't feel like the Joker's not in this movie much. Um, it feels like the Joker's movie because in amongst all of that chaos is the Joker pulling strings one step ahead constantly throughout the movie. And then when he turns up, chews the scenery up, you know, in the greatest possible way, you know. Stills, stills the show. Mm. And, you, you know, you mentioned plot. So for those who haven't seen the film, I'd be asking... What are you doing? Why have you not seen this film? <laughs> but essentially, we follow Batman after the events of Batman Begins. And Gotham has got to a point where they don't really need the Batman quite as much as they, they, they did in the in the first movie. Mm. To the point where you've got vigilantes mimicking him. And then we hear about this Joker character who was introduced in the very final moments of the last film, not in a post-credits scene. You can <laughs> go home when the credits that. roll. <laughs> uh, yeah. And very, very quickly, well, almost, well, immediately in the film, that's what we kind of start with. There's chaos. And that's, it's Batman trying to, Bring deal with order. this chaos. Yeah, trying to bring order to chaos. Yeah, that's right. From the very get-go of the movie, yeah. And, you know, one after another, he fails. Hmm. At every opportunity, he fails. He, he goes to reveal himself, he fails at that because hmm. Dent gets in the way and they have a plan. But Joker's got another plan that's already superseded your one. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a very... Tries to rescue Rachel, fails, yeah. you know. You know, I've, I've read interviews, oh, sorry, I've heard interviews and read articles where Nolan says that a big influence on this film was the film Heat, Michael Mann's. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I can see, but yeah. But this takes it to another level. Uh, yeah. I, th I, I can remember, I've, I saw Heat after I saw this. Bad move, because mm. I think Heat is quite boring. It's yeah, in comparison to this, it's, it's a different movie. Yeah. If, if I'd have seen it before I saw this, I'd probably be saying, not the same not the same for The Dark Knight, but I'd certainly be saying, Heat, great film. Yeah, I love Heat. I think it is a great movie, but it's not the same movie. as If you're expecting, oh, I think I'm going to see the threads that Nolan picked up to make Dark Knight, you're not going to see that from mm. Heat. I, I think it's great. Uh, Val Kilmer and... Um, De Niro, right? Val Kilmer, De Niro, Pacino. Pacino, of course, uh, yeah. She's um, got a great ass. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, that was the that was the big movie that put um, De Niro and Pacino, De Niro, De Niro, and Pacino the, the, the two screen, greatest yeah. actors. And it is that scene is amazing. It is slow, um, but that scene when they're trying to outact each other in that canteen mm. is the stuff of legend, isn't it? I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I'm sure it's a great movie. Yeah, I, think I don't. I, I don't see. I don't see the similarities. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I can, I I can understand how Christopher Nolan would say that was a touch point for me, a jumping off point, mm. if you like. You know, I think you. I think I can see the strands in the, you know, that opening opening sequence. The heist is very. It's a condensed version of you know the heist mm. in Heat. Yeah. Uh, but I can remember thinking as soon as I read, oh that's what he used as a bit of an influence. I thought, let's go watch Heat. And I went and watched it and I was, I was a bit disappointed. But that's kind of where he's used, you know, that's kind of been a bit of an influence on that. Mm. And again, I think it's, not a lot of films can have a two hour and 20 minute, two hour, 24 minute runtime. And 
one, it not feel like two hours and 24 minutes. Mm. And two, have a fast pace. You know, beat for beat, it's, there's not really any point where you're going, can we get on to the next scene? Do we need to see any more of this? Before, there's no point where you'll get into that stage. Everything has its place. Nothing feels, uh, too long nothing yeah. feels too short even there's not bits where you go oh, oh that kind of jumped a bit or yeah. whatever uh and that's really hard to have a good pace throughout that runtime yeah there's nothing when you watch it is like you say there's nothing you're you're thinking i could live without this what's what is this doing in the movie doesn't exist does it you know um as, as like we're saying not all movies can be told in an hour and 40, some need two and a half, three hours. Um, very few, to be fair, need two and a half, three hours. But this movie does. Um, there's a lot in it. Um, like you say, the plot is it's very dense. So it's a lot of failing on, on Batman's uh, part and a lot of getting lectured by Alfred. Um, <laughs> like you say, it's Michael Caine, so you take it, don't you, you know? Life lessons for me, Matthew McConaughey. Come with me if you want to live. Life lesson number 302. Y'all gonna need bigger boat. difficult to nail down a scene because mm. there's again we've probably got to that point now where we've seen it so much that you kind of i think we we made a couple of comments like i swear this bit was a bit longer yeah but it's probably our own memories of going i love that so much and it is actually a lot longer and you look at it and you go oh it's not that long at all mm. it's very kind of yeah very short. Yeah, again, yeah. That, that pace is it. I think for me, probably my favourite scene has to probably be when the Joker first sees or first walks into the to the henchman and, you know, 
they want to see a magic trick. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I watched yeah, it, yeah. and it was almost a. I literally remember. I remember thinking, "Where the f- did that pencil go?" <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know, and then you yeah. again. You're just every time you see him, you're totally mesmerized by yeah. every little thing that there's, he does. Yeah, yeah. Every Heath Ledger in this movie is is obviously amazing, and it's like. It's the bit when he sits down in the hospital with Harvey Dent and he looks at him and he's like, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, it's so well done. Sorry sorry about that. You know, I think it's set, I think this film sets a lot of bad trends Mm. and it's not, it's not the fault of the film. I think it's because, because it's so successful, Mm. people think, let's do that again. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of trend, you know, the trend at the moment is let's, one, let's keep having the Joker because the Joker's really successful now. Not that he wasn't before, but now it's like, let's yeah. do the Joker again. And so we've had three, four more iterations of the same character again. Well, we had since Leto yeah, and Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. It looks like we're going to get Barry Keegan. Yeah. In the net, we saw yeah. him a little bit at the end of the fir- at the end of the Batman, mm. and I'm kind of at the point now where I'm like, don't need to see another Joker. Well, they're always very disappointing. That's the problem. That's, yeah. yeah, you're yeah. always trying to live um, up to that that kind of expect expectation. What What really annoys me is when they try and turn other villains into Joker light. You know, that was I mean? one of my yeah. biggest drawbacks from the Batman is the Riddler. Yeah. Okay, you know the whole playing a cat and mouse game mm-hmm. and it's a detective film almost. Yeah. Like that part. Yeah. As soon as he gets to having conversations with him, it's like, oh, you're just in a joker. It's, yeah. You yeah. know, and it's like one of the drawbacks of, uh, there are many drawbacks in Batman versus Superman. But the, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody watches that film and thinks Martha is a good name to name your child. Yeah. You're sorely mistaken. It re- <laughs> you know, nothing yeah. against anybody who's called Martha, yeah. but your name will always be soured for me now. Yeah. But Lex Luthor in that by Jesse Eisenberg, your Eisenberg. Yeah. He played that like the Joker. Yeah, really overacting, really hammy. Bit, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, poor man's Joker laugh. Yeah. And Should so, have played him like Elon Musk would have been much better. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you know, you. <laughs> and and then you hear, you know, you hear castings about that and uh, like Brian Cranston as Alex Luther. Oh yes, please, that'd be great. But they went, you know, yeah. they've they've tried to kind of follow that. Let's have a, you know, an absolute psychopath as yeah. our villain, yeah. and let's have him crazy and unpredictable. And the problem is when you try to be crazy and unpredictable. Mm. It's usually quite predictable. Yeah. Uh, it's like that person you work with, he's like, <laughs> I'm a bit crazy. Yeah. And you're like, like no, you're not. <laughs> sometimes I put the milk in first. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, in terms of bad but trends. It's like, they decide, it's like they decided, like, this is the Batman, right? This is his character. Who does he play best against? Absolute lunacy. Well, we can't keep putting the Joker in the film. Uh, but, you know, the Riddler, he could be like the Joker. Ex, you know, whoever can be... Lex Luthor, he could be a bit like the Joker. Ham it up a bit, go for it. And it's like, not every movie needs to be the same movie. Mm. And I think, like, I mean, I don't think this is a particularly controversial opinion to have that... Brace yourself. <laughs> that, 
they seem lost. Since Nolan left, they seem lost. They can't pull their together to make a decent Batman movie. There's elements that uh, the Batman, there's elements of that that are great, you know. You know, Andy Serkis is great in that. The, the fact that he's doing detecting is great, you know. Don't even mind Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick, no? Patterson, sorry. Robert no, Patrick. no, not, not, not the liquid metal Terminator. <laughs> that would have been an interesting that film. That would have been good. Yeah. Uh, Robert Patterson. Robert, yeah. I don't, didn't even mind Robert Patterson. Uh, you know, the internet got upset like it always does, and I'm like, ah, I'm sure it'll be all right, you know? I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of elements to like in, in The mm. Batman, but I think the problem it has is, again, talking about trends, mm. Dark Knight trilogy put it in a very real, not an almost... I'm not going to say dark... I know the words in in two two of the film's titles, but it's not necessarily dark. It's just based entirely in realism. Mm. It's it's totally entirely believable. Like, yeah, how nothing... would this work in real life? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's been misinterpreted as being oh, it's a dark franchise, and so they've taken elements of that and put it into the Batman, and now mm. it's really dark. And actually, it's a point where it's like. <sighs> It's a bit too dark. Like I can remember thinking, like there there wasn't any element of fun yeah. in the Batman. Like, well, the, the, I, I'm sure there was, but I can't really remember any like jokes. And there's there's some really good jokes in the Dark Knight where it's kind of, again, you've got that Michael Caine character who kind of just the, the 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 interplay between Caine and um, Bale, or rather, you know, Bruce Wayne and Alfred. That's where the humour is, and that's where mm. it mostly stays. There's not many jokes cracked while he's in the suit but i mean that's the problem like batman is traditionally dark i mean in the movies anyway um it, the comics change if you look at the batman in the 80s he's like james bond in a cape that's that's the batman i grew up with as a kid you know and then you get to the late 80s with the frank miller iterations and um it gets darker and darker and i like the darker ones and you get to the batfleck i actually i'm one of the few people that didn't hate um, ben Affleck as Batman didn't like the movies he was in. I don't think it's his fault though. Um, and everyone said it's entirely Zack Snyder's it's fault. It's hundred percent Zack Snyder's fault. It's not uh, Affleck's perfectly serviceable as Bruce Wayne as a moody, grumpy Bruce Wayne. I, it's it's not that bad. The movies are terrible though. Um, and everyone said there's no humor in this. So then they tried to force humor into them in, when you get to like the Justice League and. Um, it doesn't work. And it's like, you have to decide what you're doing here. And then everyone said, oh, well, now we're going to do the Schneider Cut of Justice League. This like four hours long, was it? <sighs> I mean, I, I, I've seen it. I can't remember anything about it. It's that dull. Which for a four hour film is saying something. Yeah, it's so you dull. Know. And it was interesting. It was interesting to see the difference, kind of. I didn't need to see it. I don't need you to inject humour into Batman. It's like uh, the Nolan ones do it perfectly. There's jokes throughout. There's little peppered throughout it, but it's not forced, um, which is uh, which is what you get to later on. And then they go, oh, well, that hasn't worked. So let's just, oh, the Joker movie. We'll throw that out. Real cheap, low-budget movie. See what it does. Oh, right. People do like it dark. Let's make the next one dark again. It's like, can you just have a singular vision and execute it? It's all you need to do. And like, these people are supposed to be professional filmmakers and they can't get it right. Nolan literally showed them, here's the blueprint. No, I'm not saying you can't keep remaking those same movies, especially not now. 
2008, you know, 15 odd years later, you can't make The Dark Knight now. It would have to be a different movie, you know. But he showed them how it was done. And they still can't get it right. Even keeping him on as an executive producer for the Schneiderverse, which I I don't know how involved he was with it. I Part of me thinks it might have just been a way to give him more money, you know, like his producer rolls off the bar. of his... His uh, contract. No, probably... There's probably an element of going where we trust Nolan. Mm. Let's put him on it so that he can kind of... Not oversee it, but kind of... Ha- almost have a bit of a stamp of stamp of approval. Obviously, I'm just purely speculating there. Mm. Uh, one of the things I think is to the detriment of any comic book movie that kind of comes out now is that it's it's made by people who love comics, which is why this film doesn't work. Uh, sorry, why this film works perfectly mm. because it. Obviously, they've used comics and they've looked into the law and that, mm. but it's not it's not made for a comic book fan, and that's what makes it great because it's suddenly yeah you need to have watched the previous film, but it's not filled with references where the only enjoyment you'll get is if you've read comic book ninety three of this franchise and it's mentioned for it's not filled with those things. It has elements of that in yeah. there, but it's almost because it's made to you know, to appeal to a mainstream audience as opposed to a comic book audience. Mm. It encapsulates everything we like about comic book films. You know, the lore, the history, the mm. characters, and the, you know, those those types of things. But it takes everything that we like from big budget action films and goes, let's put the two together. Yeah. Yeah, I think where, um, where DC, I don't know if they've changed course now, but Marvel, obviously, everyone in the MCU high up are comic. They use comic book writers. They have um, the people in charge came from the comic books. They know the material and they know what works. They know what the fans want to see because they've managed to they managed to take the cinematic fans along the same journey. And I know um, Warner Brothers and DC particularly. Um, don't follow that path. They have, you're the comic book people, we're the movie people, we'll make the movies. You're the TV people, you make the TVs. Us as experts know how to make a Batman movie, and they don't. And I, at this point, I actually think the opposite of what you're saying. I think they need to bring the comic book people in just because they need to do something else, whatever it is. Like So Zack Snyder, I think your point you're making is Zack Snyder is a comic book geek. He knows the comic books inside out doesn't serve him well here you know in the right hands it could be done whatever they're doing with the batman movies at the moment isn't working it hasn't worked since nolan left then like i said there's elements in all of the films that i like you know so like even i could even batman v superman (laughs) 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 the the fight the extended blu-ray fight scene in the warehouse is phenomenal it's probably less than five minutes of the whole film, though, you know. But it's that is so good. That's the one thing they get right in that movie. Yeah. Um, I kind of think the only th- the only difference between the the Marvel universe and the DC universe is that 
yeah, okay, they've got one particular vision in the mm. Marvel universe. But more importantly, they've got one guy who kind of knows what he wants and knows what what needs to serve that. And it, again, that's not perfect. There's a lot of films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that are entirely forgettable. Mm. And I, you know, I've seen m- probably all of them, barring I think Black Panther, the newest one. Mm. And there are some which I, th- I, th- I, th- I think they're all enjoyable. There's not one that I hate or dislike, but they are. You know, I go and watch them with with my wife and I come out of there and I have to explain shit to her. Oh, right. Because yeah. she goes, oh, I don't get that bit. I don't, oh, who's that? What's this? And it's all, and again, I don't know everything at all. I, mm. I, I'm, you know, no by a comic book fan in the sense of knowing everything. I know bits, bits and bobs, mm. and I, you know. And so I wonder what it's like for somebody who doesn't know anything, like, well, like my Marvel wife or like somebody who just yeah. wants to go and see a film and go and, well, what is all of this? Why do, do I, I have to have seen eight films before this to understand? Do I, what's do going I need on? to yeah. know exactly again the backstory of this character mm. to understand why they're doing what they're doing or anything? And mm. I think in most instances, you kind of do. You kind of yeah. need to know all of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think on one hand, it's great that we live in a, a time where you have these Marvel movies that you basically have. How many films have they done now? I'm going to say 20. I don't... I think it's close close to 50, I reckon. Really? So there you go. And they're they're all kind of interlinked. And that, to me, is fascinating. It is a problem if you just want to go watch a movie, you know. Um, A three-movie trilogy is enough. Like you say, you don't have to have seen The Batman Begins to enjoy... Um, the Dark Knight, The Batman Begins. The Batman Begins. Don't have to see Batman have you seen Begins. That? The Batman Begins. <laughs> have you heard the new lapper music? I have, and I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't have to have seen it, but it makes it helps. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. I think by the time you get to Dark Knight Rises, you need to have seen the other two movies, at least the the second. Yeah, I think I mean, I, you bring in um, uh, the, Ra's al Ghul elements and that again, so it's all sort of tied. It kind of makes it? sense because it's um, the ending of a story. But could you imagine you if Christopher Nolan was like, okay, now we're gonna I'm gonna expand this universe out. We're gonna do the green. Arrow movies or the Green Lantern movies. But you have to have seen the three Batman movies and the three Green Lantern movies and the four Robin movies. And at a certain point, I would lose interest. It's just, but that's just speaking for me personally. I think think it's inevitable. And just going back to the point I was making, I think the only difference between the Marvel universe and the DC universe Mm. is they've got one guy at the top who kind of not necessarily knows what, what, what to do and knows his, knows his stuff. But just has a singular thing. I think they haven't necessarily. They may have done, but it hasn't exactly been clear. They were trying. And Snyder so, was going to be that guy. Wasn't and so it, what yeah. they've done is they've, you know, they've now got James Gunn in that position, who done Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, the Suicide Squad, the good one. Uh, but elements of that is that they've hired people. They got lucky with. Well, it wasn't even a thing then, but they kind of. Whoever hired Nolan and said, you're going to do the... They got lucky. Mm. They got really lucky that if you look at all of Nolan's films, he doesn't he doesn't regurgitate films. Mm. It takes him three or four years. You know, he's been around since 2000 and in, in that time, so in 23, 23 years, he's done less than 10 films. Mm. 
you know, he it's not going to be, oh, I made three films that come out, and I do another one, and I do another three. He spends time on things. Yeah. And unfortunately, I've never been a fan of Zack Snyder. I mean, his films all look good. They'll always look they appealing. They are always And they're very always visually well striking. Yeah, but beyond yeah. that, it's... It, his, his storytelling is not great. His visually, his films are amazing. I actually one of the one of the people that liked Watchmen. I think Watchmen's a good movie. It's very long. Um, it's not but, it's, by I, no mean it's not a perfect movie. I think yeah, a lot I mean, of that came from the fact of he had that source material there. Mm. So I think I don't think there's a. Or I, I certainly can't think of it. Maybe I don't think he's done a film that is purely original work. I think it's always been based on something. I know he'd done Dawn of the Dead in 2004, based on, obviously, yeah, George course. A. Romero's. Yeah. Sucker Punch, I think, was, was that, based was on a... Was was it? I've not yeah. seen it, but I know it's no. based on a comic. Yeah, yeah. Watchmen, based on a comic. Yeah. Then goes into the DC universe and starts doing those things. 300 was based on a comic. hmm You know? Yeah. So that tells you a lot about his... You know, not not necessarily that he, cla- he claims to be yeah. a writer, yeah. but oh, I mean, I think he's written elements of all of the films that he's going to be an adapt an adaptive writer. Yeah, at that point, so that tells yeah, you a yeah. lot about his. You know, he obviously uses that set. as a yeah. bit of a safety net in the sense mm. of these are already grounded in something. I haven't got to build this up from scratch. Yeah, uh, and so I can remember when Man of Steel came out. Mm-hmm. And the thing that drew me to that was it executive uh, produced by Chris Nolan, mm. and they try they try to do what they done with Batman, and they put Superman in a very real universe, mm-hmm. and it wasn't bad, it wasn't great, it yeah. was solid. It was but, better than Singer's Superman, wasn't it? With was it Brandon? Yeah, Ralph? yeah, yeah. Superman was very, very much in a similar position to Batman was a couple mm. of years previous in the sense of people had kind of weaned them off. They'd been, yeah. Their hands had been burnt. And the it's thing like, that, oh, is it going to have kryptonite in this yeah, one? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's yeah, a very, yeah. you have, in order to have Superman be, for me anyway, I know people will, will, there are lots of people who love Superman, but for me, he'll always be the most flawed character mm. in the DC universe because you know exactly what his weakness is. Mm. And it's the same every time. Mm. Oh, it's kryptonite, but in a gun form. Now it's kryptonite (laughs) on the end of a spike. It's exactly the same things all the time. Or here's someone else from Krypton who's slightly bigger than him. Exactly. And I can remember when there was talk about Batman v Superman. And I remember thinking, okay, who's going to... And I looked and it, it's going to be Zack Snyder. And I thought, okay, the problem isn't going to be visually. It's going to look good. Mm. There's going to be element... You know, the fight, as you say, the fight sequence is good. Mm. The problem is going to be the story. Yeah. And what's the problem in Batman v Superman? The story. Mm. And I think... And Martha. <laughs> it's just such a bad... <laughs> way to end a good fight scene <laughs> and to just suddenly yeah. you know. I, was, I was mostly really excited to see um what they call the fat bat suit you know fat bat which is the suit he he yeah, wears because yeah, yeah. it's from frank miller's the dark knight returns mm. 
And I was like, they're going to put him in the suit. They have to. Like, Schneider knows the source material well enough. And obviously, it's not directly Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. There's elements of it, the, the fight with Superman, but um, a completely different storyline. I mean, funnily enough, they did a an animated version, parts one and two of Dark Knight Returns, that is outstanding. Um, so much better than Batman v Superman yeah. anyway, you know? And I, I think a lot of the problem that they're still facing is that we're probably, probably now not in that position because the Batman came out and it was quite widely, positively received. Uh, is that you're still seeing the effects of the Dark Knight in Batman, mm. in the sense of doesn't really matter what the story is, doesn't really matter about anything, people will pay to go and see Batman because because of the Dark Knight, because yeah. of that trilogy. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a bit like, remember how you were saying before, uh, a while ago, about how Terminator 2 killed the franchise? <laughs> I kind of feel like the Dark Knight trilogy is such a high standard I don't know if they'll ever be able to get past it. Which which is why you kind of have to do something different. And I think luckily, again, I know, I think it's, you know, I don't think it's as good as The Dark Knight, but The Dark Knight Rises, I think, is a really, is a great way to end. And I know a lot of people have some, some very big problems with it. But I think the reason for me why it works is because Nolan didn't go with a Joker worked. All right, let's do that again, but differently. Mm. He went, okay, so in so we tackled the the mind of Batman in Batman Begins. We tackled the kind of the moral choices. Moral choices yeah, yeah. about the heart of Batman. Yeah. And then in the third one they went, now let's attack the body. Let's physically break him. Yeah. And Brilliantly with 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 Tom Hardy. I almost mm. called him Tom Bane. Uh, <laughs> Tom Hardy is Bane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, interestingly, mm. I was saying about bad trends. One of the things which I I until we just watched it, I never really got. And I don't think it's a, again, it's not a problem, but the Batman voice mm. by Bale. Mm. I always used to defend it and go. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense for me because it's this guy and it's menacing. And if somebody's screaming at you like that, again, from the story they told in the first one, and the reason he's the Batman is because it's about fear. Mm. It makes sense. Yeah. What I didn't quite realise and didn't quite remember is the way he carries that on into, not in those big aggressive moments where, you know, the, the interrogation scene, for example, or when they're outside and he's with the Joker. But it's it's in the scenes where he's speaking to people quite conversationally in that <laughs> yeah. same voice. and it, It's jarring. It, I yeah. don't think it goes over the top in this. No. Just. I think there's a couple, there's like one scene where Joker's hanging off, hanging upside down. And he says something, and I remember just thinking, "So, what did you say?" Because it was it was almost unintelligible. Yeah. Interestingly, it wasn't it wasn't apparently in the first edit of it. Christian Bale is toned down a lot. His actual performance was a lot toned down, and Nolan dialed it up to what we eventually saw. Is that right? 
So it's interesting because I think a lot of people lay Christian Bales. And I think, you know, I, some of the blame well, to that has to be kind of labelled at, at nosing. And in turn, what I was saying about bad trends, sorry, sorry to, to harper on a bit, but we kind of almost see that again with batting in mm. that we've got another interesting voice choice. Mm. I think it's great. I love it. But I can see why people think it's, it's utterly ridiculous. No, because, they're idiots. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's. You know, I mean, the thing, the thing with with. I mean, me and you have had this, been having this conversation about Batman's voice for fifteen years yeah. now. I think. <laughs> and we always have uh, the same stance. I'm going, it's great. What yeah, are you going on about? Like, it's too much. Um, it doesn't. I don't hate it. I, I'm not. I don't. It doesn't ruin the movies for me. Funnily enough, I know exactly the bit you're talking about when he's he's talking to the Joker at the end, and he's still really doing that. Like, you, you better than that. You're better than everyone, and you were wrong. It's like, I think you you could dial it back in that instance. And what's interesting is most of the criticism that gets levelled about it is when people say Nolan should have told him to dial it back. And what you're saying is it was the complete opposite, and Nolan said, I want more, you know, which I never knew that. That's fascinating. Um, as for the Bane voice, it's brilliant. Apparently they had to re, re-edit it, though, after the... Was it... Um, I don't think the film was out. I think it must have been a test screening. And they were like, it was unintelligible. And so they, they've messed around with the sound level. So I think it sounds great. I think Tom Hardy's playing voice is one of those things that's brilliant. Um, people who... I don't have a problem with Dark Knight Rises. I don't understand why people do. It is a great way to end the franchise. You can't... You're not getting the Joker back. It's not happening. You know what I mean? It can't be done for obvious reasons. And like I said, when I first heard, he's doing Bane, and everyone went, ugh. I think at that point, people just wanted to hate the movie. Some people, not all people, you know. Um, but again, it's that thing about trust in Nolan. At every point, even in when you found out he was doing the bat bike in the second movie, you're like, really? We're going to have Heath Ledger and the bat bike? You did so well on the first film, why spoil it? And then you see the movie, you're like, oh, he made the bat bike cool. But the bat bike isn't corny. That's amazing. So by the time you get to the third movie, you trust the director, like we keep saying. And Dark Knight Rises is a great movie. Um, I can't think of a single problem with it, really. I mean, everyone harkens on about the end, don't they? Like, how did he get out? Oh, they telegraphed that. Oh, the autopilot doesn't work and all of that stuff. What do you want? You well, know? Whenever I've heard that criticism, I've always gone, it's Batman. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much realism what, can you demand of this film? Like, you know, the yeah. reason why Pete... Again, I, I think it's, it's kind of the same when you get any film which is so revered. Mm. If you get a sequel to it, or a remake, or a reimagining, or anything in that same, same vein, mm. people go into it with expectations. Mm. And when you go into it with it with expectations... It's never going to reach them. No. So I went into the Dark Knight Rises and I went, it's not going to be the Dark Knight. Mm. And because I'd done that, I went, I remember coming out and going, it's better than the Dark Knight. <laughs> and I remember yeah, yeah. the next morning going, it wasn't better than the Dark Knight. But, but it, I was expecting it to be so much worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And because, because I didn't have those expectations, same thing with... Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, mm. they, third act. Same year as this movie. Bit, I bit think. of a switch. Yeah. I think that's. But I went into that yeah. going, 
I know it's not going to be the first one. Mm. I know it's not even going to be the second one. And I know it's definitely not going to be the third one. So, mm. it, so I enjoyed it. Mm. And I think that's what a lot, I think that's what's really difficult is to, ironically, that's the thing I didn't do with Terminator Genesis. Mm. I kind of went, it looks like two. It's going to be great. <laughs> and oh, it, that must and it have was, been disappointing. Yeah, Salvation, yeah. I went into that going, this isn't going to be a Terminator film. Yeah. And therefore, I, like I liked it. Yeah, I but like again, Salvation. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot, you know, it's really easy to kind of go in and go, mm. I want it to be as good as the best thing in that franchise or the mm. best thing about that that type of movie. And very often it's not. Mm. And so I think that's that's probably where I think a lot of the criticisms come from. Mm. And one thing I pointed out when we were watching it is that the criticisms that people have of The Dark Knight Rises, mm. those same criticisms can be put in The Dark Knight, but nobody ever levels them at The Dark Knight because it's The Dark Knight. Yeah. So they they point it, you know, how did Batman get out of there? Mm. You know, how did the Joker put all those bombs on the boats? Mm. It's exactly the same type of thing. Oh, he paid... Yeah, you have to start explaining it just like yeah. you have to start explaining... Yeah. Batman There's thing. certain questions you don't need to ask of a movie. Yeah. How of a did man Batman dressed up in a rubber, to, in a rubber bat get, suit? Yeah. Get back to Gotham after climbing out of that thing with a broken back. Yeah. The only thing the only thing um I don't like about the end of that movie is I think it I think it you actually see him drinking coffee at the end. And it would have just stylistically, I think we can all agree, would have been better if Michael Caine had looked up and it cut. I don't I personally don't think you need to see Bruce Wayne's still alive. I think it would have been much better because we all know he's still alive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you don't yeah. need to label it. But it's such a small criticism. I don't get to that bit of movie and go, oh, that's it. Throw my popcorn down and go on the internet. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like this, like The Dark Knight Rises is a great movie and I don't understand anyone who doesn't like it. How do you end a franchise? That's how you end a franchise. It's brilliant. And interestingly enough, much like Schneider, some of that material is drawn from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, but in capable hands. <laughs> that's, that's everything it is. And yeah. it's, it's so, again, I think a, part of the problem is, is that as soon as you become kind of successful, so Nolan's got to a stage now where he's, he's very capable and he's very successful. Mm. And now people are starting to hate on those Nolan tropes, shall we say. Yeah. So one thing, we mentioned it pre earlier, but we haven't really touched upon it, and it's kind of a kind of a shame, but we were touched upon it now, is, is the fact of Hansom's score. Mm. You know, those tones that are used, those, those you know, those high-pitched kind of yeah. eerie, scraping like metal sounds. Yeah, yeah. And then those right, yeah. low kind of yeah. droning notes. Yeah. Those have become cliche now. Mm. How many films have you seen that aren't Hans Zimmer that do that and to lesser effect? So it's, many. it's become yeah. Yeah. even to the point now where you see it in, you, you know, Inception came two years later and I think uses those lower tones in a, I'm not going to say better way. It's just um, in a slightly different way and, yeah. and for different purposes. Yeah. And so. But by the time you get to probably The Dark Knight Rises, certainly by the time you get to Interstellar, mm. certainly by the time you get to Tenet, Dunkirk and those things, Hans Zimmer's kind of had to change 
what those kinds of things are. And and rightly so, for the purposes of what film he's doing, it's not going to be applicable to just do that thing again. Mm. But he also shrewd, can't do it anymore, though, can he? That's right. Yeah, shrewd yeah, yeah. enough to know, particularly Interstellar, mm. which I think is easily... I think it's easily the most accomplished soundtrack of a film ever in the sense of it it does exactly what it needs to do for that film. Mm. In lesser hands with, with you know, with, with a, a director who isn't quite as, uh, isn't quite as established in what he wants would have just done the same again and so mm. it becomes a very different or has a different atmosphere because of because of that music. Yeah, and I, I mean no disrespect when I say this, John Williams. Right? Okay. You know a John Williams score when you Absolutely. hear it. You if know? you and a good good example of John Williams mm. is if everybody now in their heads, a little tester, a little bit experiment for you, hum the theme tune in your head to Superman. Mm-hmm. And now try and think of Indiana Jones yeah. or Star Wars. Uh, yeah, I think me and you have had this conversation you can't, before. You it's, can't it, do it. Really it all becomes hard. kind of one. Yeah. And again, I think that that's probably through time mm. and through, you know, those same kind of, those mm. tropes. But I think... But I mean, you're talking like Lucas and Spielberg is their go-to composer. Now, I'm sure there's people that have a problem with that, you know, but not in the same way as people have a problem with Zimmer's scores, oh, they all sound the same. It's like, well, they don't anymore. I understand why people, you say that. He I, had a thing he was doing that everyone copied. I don't think know? Zimmer... I think Zimmer done it probably once. The things that everybody says, oh, what, what Zimmer does it all of. the time. Yeah, yeah. I think he does it once. He does it in The Dark Knight. And I think it's all those lesser inferior copies yeah. that kind of get amalgamated into one where whereby you hear it and you think, oh, that must be a Zimmer score because it sounds so much like it. Mm. It's almost like, how is that not copyright? Because you it's seen, something... Oh, I know you've seen it, but you know Hannibal, the movie. He, does, yes. he wrote yeah, yeah. the music, you know, the opera. Yeah, yeah. That's Zimmer. And that's a beautiful piece of music. And the thing you know is as I mean? well is that he's prolific before this point. Yeah. Well, he also wrote the Going for Gold theme tune, didn't he? He did. Yeah. He did, yeah. yeah. Going for going for gold. He also... Uh, happens to be in the music video that was the first music video that was on MTV because he well, the, was the, bud, the, the Bubbles budgies, video Buggles, killed the radio it. star that yeah. he was in the band he's the, the guy in the leather really? jacket playing the keys it's Hans Zimmer I did not know yeah, that yeah so a nice little bit of trivia fact there but he got to a point where his scores were of a certain type mm. uh, not not sounds the same by any stretch but of a certain kind of ilk you mm. know and he, do, he does this one thing in The Dark Knight. Batman Begins doesn't really have this. It's similar in tone, but it doesn't have that kind of... Dun-dun, dun-dun, that kind of... And then the scratching metal. It doesn't... It fits... You could, I you honestly could, can't remember. You could put yeah. the music of Batman Begins over the top of The Dark Knight and it would work. Mm. But it, he doesn't do that. He didn't go, I'll just do the same thing again because it's the same thing. He kind of went a bit different. Mm. And I think The Dark Knight Rises... He went a slightly different again with the kind mm. of like the uh, almost the choral sort of kind of singing and the chanting that he has in that bit when he's the trying. Bane theme tune. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes in a different direction yeah. again. And so a lot of people level the criticism of Hans Zimmer 
through the fact of he's been copied so much and it's actually not not his fault mm. uh again if you listen to interstellar you listen to inception which is probably the most similar mm. to the dark knight and the dark knight rises in in tone but time for me is probably the single greatest mm. soundtrack piece of all time for me i know that's it's been overdone it's used on so much now much like anything it's used on adverts any moment of whatever mm. but for me that's always been but again it's kind of it's set up that bad trope where by now people are bored of it nobody wants to hear that kind of droning kind of yeah. you know the zimmer sound almost you know, it's what happens when things are successful though isn't it you absolutely I mean? it's, it's like when a band you like becomes hugely successful and then you get a thousand and one uh, similar sounding brands mm. signed to record companies and all of a sudden you have a movement and all of a sudden it's crap, you know. It's the it's same thing with movies. It's, it gets overused, it gets um, overplayed and you get bored of it real quick and it's not Zimmer's fault, you know. Um, uh, you know, much like the, the criticisms that are levelled at Nolan now. So one thing is, I think we've touched upon it a little bit with sound. So obviously mm. we mentioned that he made the choice to dial up the... Batman voice mm. he obviously wanted the Bane voice to be dialed up and they said no you can't if anybody's watched Tenet I I think it's a great film not at the same levels it's certain again now I, I when I go into a Nolan film I'm kind of trying not for it to be oh, I want it to be as good as The Dark Knight or for me The Prestige mm. I know it's not so I have to kind of mm. I have to set my expectations at a certain level but one of the criticisms of that is the sound in that in that you can't hear what they're saying through the majority of the film, especially when there's like big action sequences. Yeah, yeah. It's a subtitle job at home. Wow, you know? that would drive me mad. Yeah, so yeah. again, but I, I accepted it because of all the good faith he's kind of set up. Mm. I think he gets a lot of criticism about female characters, which I think this is probably where it started. We mentioned uh, uh, Rachel, Rachel Dawes' character yeah. and how... Although it ha it has a lot of effect on the story, the character doesn't necessarily actively add anything. It's all kind of she's you know she's, she's in, in damsel in distress yeah, a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yes, right. Yeah. And whilst I don't think that's a bad thing for this, I think you can only have so much in there, and I think it just happens mm. to be. Well, think, yeah, she's she's Batman or Bruce Wayne's anchor. Yeah, back to the real world. You know, back to daylight, if you like. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, so that character can only really have one function, and that's mm. to fail. <laughs> you know, but I uh, think yeah. that's where the criticism started, in the mm. sense of people saw that, and then it kind of happens similar and again to, in Interstellar. Well, you get to Dark happened, Knight Rises, and you've you've yeah, got Talia Al Ghul. It happens a little bit in Inception. Mm. Uh, you know, the female characters in that. I'm not going to say are bad because I don't think they are. They're just not. Uh, they're not great, but they're they're solid and they do they f serve the function of the mm. story. But it's not it's not like you go that is a great character like you do, you know, for Bane or for you do for mm. you know Cobb or uh, Ames in Inception, one yeah. of my favourite characters. Uh, you know, so I can, and that's what I mean about bad trends in that you're a victim of your own success. Yeah, and that's I think why sometimes it's almost better to have a cult following because if things come out and you know people hate it at the time mm. 
there's no expectation level and then you go and watch it and you go why does everybody hate that film mm. and you enjoy it more whereas if unfortunately if you talk to somebody who hasn't seen the dark knight like what we're doing now you'll go on for a 20 minute conversation at least why you need to go and watch the dark Knight. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so that person's expectations are always going to be at a fairly lofty stage yeah, yeah. and i think it's one of Fortunately, I think it's one of the few films that can live up to those expectations. Yeah, I think uh, you're probably right. Yeah, I th- you know, Terminator Two probably being another one that can live up to those expectations. Mm-hmm. But there are very few where you build it to a certain point where you go, you know, that's great. This you've got to go and see that. Mm-hmm. So by the so, for example, The Godfather for me mm-hmm. hadn't seen it until about five years ago. Mm-hmm. And everybody had said, it's one of the greatest films of all time. It's amazing. Mm. That's all I'd ever heard about it. I watched it and I was like, mm, that's all right. Yeah. But that's the problem. Things move on. Yeah. So, um, it's the awesome Wales film that everyone bangs on about. Rosebud. Oh, fucking. Uh, you know. Citizen Kane. Yes. I finally got around <laughs> to watching that. I mean, it would have been about 15, 13 years ago something like Never that um, yeah and I'm like this is supposed to be the greatest film ever made but the reason it's supposed to be the greatest film ever made is because it set a lot of standards but it was made in like what the 50s so I'm watching it going it's alright it's not my fault it's 50 years later or something 60 years later when I finally watch it but that movie began so many people say that movie is set so many standards of movies that we now are just used to. They're the norm. They weren't the norm when he made it. So objectively, I can look at that movie and go, I, I see what you're saying. But practically, when I watch am I going to reach to watch that movie again? Sadly not, you know. Um, and it's probably a similar experience you're having with The Godfather. It's what, the 70s that was probably made, the first one. Yeah, really early. I think before the first Jaws movie, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think. Um, so yeah, it's an old movie. I think they're great. Um, but I saw uh, them yeah. when I, I saw them when I was young enough. You know, they probably weren't. Well, I would have seen them, maybe the nineties. So they, they would have been old, but not so old. Do you know what I mean? And there hadn't been a lot of great, a lot of great gangster movies since The Godfather. Obviously, you got the Scorsese movies. Goodfellas, yeah, amazing. Goodfellas, a great movie. Yeah, I mean, but so Godfather. I've always like. We'll always like the Godfather. They are very long movies, though. Um, I think it says a lot about our discussion on the Dark Knight. We haven't even spoken about Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. I mean, not he's an old man. He he's not lost in this by any stretch. No, he's, no. he's he's he, he's an integral part of it. But mm. I think that kind of sums up how much there is, mm. and we've not even scratched the surface. Really, it's true, yeah. And he's no. great in this movie. I th- yeah, yeah, I think Gary Oldman's one of those actors where he's not Gary Oldman in anything. Oh, he's a he's a, a, a character actor. He's a character yeah. actor, but, but not but not of the one. traditional sense. In you get the character actors who are usually small parts and mm. they're playing a certain role, whereas he's the character actor. Almost in the same vein as, uh, oh, I can't think of his name, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, where it's totally okay. That's a bit, bit, bit more extreme, but he he kind of encompasses everything to do with the character, and he, yeah. t- you know, you do 
almost ceased to see Gary Oldman yeah, in, in see, many of his roles. And this you know one I mean? is, is, a, is a prime example. You see Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. It's, a, it's a believable... I mean, at the time, off the top of my head, Gary Oldman is a non-villainous kind of character is it's i wouldn't say it's um against type but it's not it's not who you thought of gary old gary oldman plays villains um twisted type people dark characters and he brings an element of that to jim gordon to be fair jim gordon is not a two-dimensional character in gary oldman's hands um he's very well fleshed out and he he plays he plays conflicted and flawed and noble all in one go. He, he He's literally a, like that public servant. He's almost like, he reminds me, he's like playing him like a football manager, but he's a cop in the worst city in America, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But he's like, well, these, this is my team. That's my forwards. That's my centre-backs. That's my goal. And it's like he's shuffling the bad cards he's dealt as well as he can, you know. And Gary Oldman plays that extremely well. And I would say almost against type at this point when when he comes into this franchise, you know. Well, it, it, I think he, it got him at the right time in the sense of when you're so good at playing bad characters, it's mm. only so long before people start to like you as an actor. And so therefore, playing bad characters becomes more and more difficult because... You're likable. You're likable. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, yeah. you know, it's a bit like a wrestling analogy in the sense of when the bad guy is so good at being a bad guy, mm. eventually he starts getting cheered. Yeah. And that's the point where you go, he's now a good guy. Mm. And I think this is just at that, probably, yeah, around this time is when people start going, you know what, Gary Oldman is great. And yeah. not that anybody said he wasn't previous to that, but it's when people started really kind of going, mm. You look back at his body of work and you go, he's got some absolute belters he's in there. He's got some chops on him. And yeah, as you yeah. say, it is against type because it is that mm. kind of, you know, that... Yeah, he's, a, he's everyone's dad in that movie. Yeah, a very you know? real... I think what what's really interesting is when we were watching, when we were watching it, we... I think we both kind of made the joke of in this film, in where there's that point where he, he, he fakes his own death. Mm. We both made the joke about... And he didn't even tell his wife. Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of funny. But now that we kind of look at it a bit more, I kind of go, that sums his character up perfectly because mm. it says he obviously loves his family and he loves, you know, well, he loves them to death. Mm. But his sense of right and wrong and his sense of justice... And his sense of is, duty, ...is yeah. that powerful that he's willing to do that in order to get the bad guy. Mm. And, that you know, I think that's a very real thing. You know, I think mm. there's probably a lot of, you know, real-life police officers who who have to kind of put themselves in that kind of position whereby you're risking your life to a certain extent a lot of the time. This yeah, is going I, I in a very I, different I, direction. I, but, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I think um, I should imagine uh, being a policeman uh, or a detective... Um, especially in America, I should imagine probably comes at quite a great cost to your family life, you know, your home life. Probably same in this country. I don't know it's like if you're a Bobby on the street sort of thing, that comes with its own risks and dangers and stuff. But I should, I would, without looking into it, I would imagine divorce rates for policemen are probably quite high, you know. Yeah, I mean? it's probably, probably a um, safe bet to make. Yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, I, superb actor, superb character, you know. And, um, uh, and could, it could be played flat in a lesser director's hand, lesser in a lesser director, actor's less, hands. Yeah, 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 you know. But he, he plays it very well. He, he brings that that empathy and that soul of the, of the struggling public servant, you know. Um, and it's it's almost across the board, I think, obviously we've spoken about Rachel Dawes' character. Barring that character, every single character in there is is believable because their motivations and their their kind the the way in which they're they're in the story and they're, they're you know the way they function the story is so so on point whereby the reason obviously you can say I'm going to put Batman in a real world mm. easier said than done how do you put a guy flying around a city dressed as a bat in a mm. real world. Yeah. And it's because you go, we're not making a Batman movie, we're making a Bruce Wayne movie. Yeah. And Batman's the peripheral. Mm. Batman's the kind of, you know... He's the window dressing. Absolutely. And again, you know, Christian Bale, not that you ever needed to, you know... Christian Bale meant that you could have important, intelligent real characters in a big budget action mm. film. It wasn't just bang, bang, window dressing. Don't think about it for too much because when you do, you'll dislike it. Mm. You actually, the more you think about Bruce Wayne as a character and Batman as a character, the more you kind of go, actually, yeah, there's some real depth to to that, mm. you know. Touch which, of uh, the Patrick Bateman's at times, his Bruce Wayne. Um Inevitably so, you know. I mean, it's it's unavoidable. But yeah, it's great. I think uh, a lot of people say the key is is Bruce Wayne. The, the key into Batman is going through Bruce Wayne, you know. And Bale's great at that. Um, one thing I really like in this movie as well is the changes they make to his suit. They do the traditional rubber Batman suit in the first film, and I've I've been saying for a long time, just put him in, like, army fatigues, but make them look like Batman suits. So I was thinking, I didn't quite go all the way they went, you know, and then you get to the second movie, and it's interesting, I forgot, he starts off the movie in his same rubber suit, and I was like, That's, it doesn't look good. <laughs> it's like, I didn't really notice it too much. In the first one, it looks good, he's got that big wide neck on him, but because in my head I'm expecting the Batman suit of the second movie, I'm watching those opening scenes. I'm like, I'm glad they changed the suit in this because it looks great. He's he, they literally he's like, I can't move in this suit. How do we get around it? And they design their way out of it in the movie. It's brilliant. And the you know, you know the, for those who don't know, the reason they came up with, you know, they were talking about okay, what's the reasoning behind why Batman gets a new suit? Mm. And they went, well, let's just have it as the real reason. The reason why we're going to change the Batman suit from a filmmaking perspective is because it's really uncomfortable. It's mm. really Un, un, un agile, agile, agile. Mm. It's really difficult to move in. Yeah, and we need something more agile. If he wants to agile. turn around, he has to move his entire body rather yeah. than just his head. You know, you know yeah. it's the whole kind of the shoulders. Yeah, you go, you know, yeah. and rather than again, that could have been a really overcomplicated process where they go, let's have this really deep backstory into mm. why he gets in. He goes, goes, no, why is he getting a new bat suit so he can move? Mm. So he can move a bit quicker. He can, yeah. be, you know, and they and set. It looks it, great. Yeah, it's it's one of those. Mm. 
I think it's a really underrated one. I, I think a lot of people kind of, they like that, particularly the 89 Batman suit. Mm. And again, probably the Batman versus Superman suit they like because it's a bit different again. Mm. And I think everybody kind of, everybody takes for granted Dark Knight and the Dark Knight <laughs> suit. suit. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's a good, yeah. a good segue into how much everybody takes for granted the Dark Knight. Yeah. In the sense of, so many people have thought it's easy to do what's been done, yeah. which is why they've copied it, and then they've gone, <laughs> no. Mm. And superheroes as a, as a whole movie have gone, not just Batman, they've gone, let's make it more serious, let's make it more serious. Logan was an example, let's make it more serious. It done it well. Yeah, yeah, Logan was chasing um, chasing Deadpool in a way as well, wasn't it, that yeah. R-rated movie, yeah. Which is great, it was really good, the Logan movie was really good to see Wolverine stabbing people in the head with his claws. I was like, I didn't realise how long I'd waited to see that until I saw it, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, like you say, when when you do something well, it's easy for people to think it's easy to do well, and it's not, you know? And I think that, that kind of kind of speaks to the, to the legacy of the movie or the impact of the movie in a way, you know? Like, like I was saying, like, how do you get past the Dark Knight trilogy if you want to make another Batman film, can't really be done, can it? You know, it's very, it's very difficult to, mm. and I think it makes it look a lot. It makes it look a lot easier than it is, mm. and that's the testament to how good it is. And that is that it makes people go, "I can do that." Yeah, and then you try, and they can't. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, there you go. There's probably no greater testament to how good a movie it is, and the fact that every movie that they've made, every Batman movie they made since just doesn't touch it and we're now talking about a movie that's 15 years old uh when was the last one so this was 2008 when was dark knight rises 11 2012 12 there it's you 11 go. years old so 11 years since this, this franchise wrapped yeah. up and they still haven't worked out how many movies has he been in including batman superman justice, justice league. league uh I think the Batman. The Batman. I think he's in the Flash as well. I've not seen that yet. But yeah, the there's a bunch of Batmans yeah. in that, and there. Yeah, so call it three Batman, solid Batman movies since, and and a few cameos if you like. Um, and they still haven't worked it out. Uh, they can't get past it, which is great. It is a great testament for this film, but it's not good if you want to see another good Batman film. You mm. know, but. I think part of the problem with that is that it's coming from a. Like, why are we seeing another Batman film? Mm. What's the purpose? What do you of? have to offer me? The purpose yeah. is to make money. Mm. And I think as soon as that becomes the purpose, that a lot of the time is when it's it's Well, yeah, it would have been the purpose through. when they made the Nolan movies as well, but though, right? The reason to make money isn't enough of a thing to go, yeah, but we, we it could be like Joel Schumacher's. Mm. So he could make money off it, but it's a risk. You know, so we've got to put some time and effort into it. Whereas I think since The Dark Knight, they've gone, we can do another Batman. Man. People will come and see it because it's Batman. My, myself included, I'll go and see it because it's, cause it's yeah, Batman. Yeah, I will watch anything with Batman in it. It's funny enough, I used to, I used to read comic, a lot of comics when I was younger. But now as an old man, the only comics I still buy are Batman comics. And it's the same with the movies. I know the comics are fine. They're not terrible, mostly, you know. But the movies, like you say... I will go watch a Batman movie. 
you know, with very low expectations that are usually not met. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the Batman was serviceable. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I was exhausted when I saw it in the cinema. Um, I will watch it again. I saw the Joker movie once, and I, it was good. I haven't had zero desire to watch it again, though. I was like, ah, it was good. You get, you, you know, get, you get to a point where there's a, there's a burnout. Mm. You know, I think, okay, there was nine years between. Well, hang on a minute, no, there was seven years, wasn't there? Ninety-eight, I think, was Clooney's Batman. Oh yeah, it's got to be late nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah not, It's good, ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Seven years. There, so yeah. actually, it's not too dissimilar from. Uh, and you've got Batman v Superman three years later, so it's a lot mm. shorter time. But even that in itself is 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 a short amount of time. I think the need, you know, sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. If you're seeing a Batman or a Joker or any of those characters that we love all the time, it's it's gonna it's gonna be so difficult for us to go. Well, we've seen it all before, mm. you know, and. Often we've seen it done before better. So yeah. why am I going to watch this version? Mm. If we had say ten years, even fifteen years of not having a single Batman film or a single film about Joker or anything in mm. that universe, by that point people are going, I think it's time for a new. And by that point, you can ha- you've got the trust where you can go. Enough time has passed. Yeah. Let's not see the origins again, for Christ's sake. Yeah. But enough time has passed where you can tell a new story without it being necessarily immediately compared to something that happened not so long ago. Mm. That was found really interesting when they when they cast um, Leto as Joker, and they released. You remember when they released the images of him with all his tattoos on his face and that, and everyone was like, and they went, "Well, that's not necessarily what he's going to look like," and it was. Yeah, and I was like, "Why don't you just own it?" You know what I mean? Jared Leto is a terrible human being. <laughs> and I don't like him as the Joker. You know what I mean? It's I mean like... You know, the, the thing for me that told me immediately that it was going to be a bad depiction was the tattoo on mm. his, I think it's on his forehead, damaged. Mm. It's like, oh, thanks you, for telling us that. You need to telegraph that. that. You know, like, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, again, it, treating yeah. its audience like they're silly, like mm. we need to be spoon-fed stuff. Mm. More often than not, the, the audience is intelligent. They mm. can pick things up and probably mm. pick things up you probably didn't even put down. Well, it's but, that show, Don't Tell Me. And he's literally got damage tattooed on his forehead. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's over at that point. So I, th- I, think we, I think we just need to let Batman kind of... Let it rest. Yeah. yeah. I do just want to kind of mention one thing which you haven't spoken about at all and probably not go into masses of, de- masses of detail because, again, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. But obviously mm. we lost Kevin Conroy, uh, yeah. who I think is he's probably, the... I'd say probably the best Batman depiction. Yeah, he's the voice of Batman. Yeah, yeah. like it's for, I can't hit anything else in an animated form. Mm-hmm. For my first, first interaction, mm-hmm. again, came very shortly after The Dark Knight where I played Arkham Asylum, the game. Which is course, yeah. again that was a 
that first Arkham Asylum game was amazing. It's amazing yeah, because yeah. it ha- you're playing as Batman for mm-hmm. one. It can't go wrong. Punching turkeys in the neck. Two, you know I mean? they've got a great story in there mm-hmm. and great performances. Mark yeah. Hamill's Joker. Mark Hamill's Joker. Kevin Conroy is yeah. Batman. But it has all of those things. A good game has those things that keep you coming back. And the thing that kept me coming back was they had these things called Riddler trophies where you could go and find uh, them. And it yeah, would yeah. tell you bits of, about characters. It would give you a character bio. Mm. And I think it's I think anybody who's looking, who's interested kind of peripherally mm. about comics, which I would kind of consider myself in that, where I, I don't go and read the comics, but I quite like the idea of it. Mm. I feel quite overwhelmed with going, there's, you know, 60... Well, eighty years worth of Batman comics. Mm. Where do I begin? Yeah, that was a great way of it. It just showed. Here's what you need to know about the Calendar Man. Not a massive character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know anything about him. That sounds cool, you know. And mm. all of these different, you know. And I think the part of the problem, again, with Batman films, is they they have the same two or three, four or five villains. Mm. And it's usually the the villains that were iconic in the 60s ones. You've got Joker. Mm. You've got Riddler. You've got Bane to a certain extent. We've seen that done a couple of times. You've got Two-Face, which are all the big ones, but there are... There are characters. Scarecrow, again, in Batman Begins, was a great choice because I don't think hardly... Apart from the people who really knew the comic books, Mm. nobody really knew who Scarecrow was. Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul. It makes, yeah, yeah. you know, there's so mm. mu- there's so much lore there. And mm. so, and part of the reason why that was such a good experience was because Kevin Conroy is Batman. Yeah, he is know. the voice of Batman, yeah. And... Yeah, well, obviously, from the animated series for me, um, Kevin Conroy. Um, yeah, that's who I hear in my head mm, is you know, Kevin Conroy's Batman, you know. You know, and that that as much as, you know, there's so many great... Like, I think it's from the Dark Knight, Re- Dark Knight Returns, where it's like, I am the knight, mm. I am Batman. Mm. Excuse my very, very poor imitation. I'm not claiming to be <laughs> Kevin Conroy's replacement by yeah. any means. Uh, yeah. But I think if you, you know, if you have a conversation about anything to do with Batman, you kind of have to at least... You have have a nod and a mention. I think particularly yeah. so, yeah. you know, now, now that we've sadly lost him. And I think, you know, part of the, part of the, I would wonder what would have happened to the Joker character had Heath Ledger not passed away. I think that, that means we hold it in high regard because didn't get we are never, you know, yeah. we're never going to be able to see another yeah. depiction of Heath Ledger doing that. Whereas yeah. you could see, even now, you could still see another Jack Nicholson version, you know. Yeah. And I'm, you know, we've had how many versions of Jared Leto? We didn't need the first one. Why do we need two more, or however mm. many he is, you know, in that? He's in. Yeah, he's definitely in two movies at least. He's in he? Suicide yeah. Squad. I think he's in. He's. I think he's briefly in the he's Birds in of Prey League. one. He's definitely in. I don't think he's in Birds of Prey. I yeah, I, he could be. I think yeah. he's in Justice League. Though. I think he turns he's in, a, he's up, in I think. a couple of them. He's definitely you know. sat in the desert at one point, isn't he? That's uh, yeah. Justice League. I That's think. Justice League. Yeah. Or is that? 
Yeah, there's that. <laughs> see, this is the thing. It blurs into one because it doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, I mean, who, who wants to retain these movies in their heads? Exactly. You know what I mean? So I think we've, that probably leads us pretty well onto further, further watching, really, doesn't it? Um, Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> and yeah, Batman Begins. I think if, you, yeah. if you're going to watch, if you're going to watch the middle of the story, watch the beginning and the ending of the story. Yeah, hundred percent. It, make, yeah. it makes the most sense. Obviously, like I did, you're probably you're going to want to watch all Batman movies. Unfortunately, yeah. even the Joel Schumacher ones, as terrible as they are, yeah. I think I, th- I remember watching a, a sketch on YouTube. Around about the time this dark, the Dark Knight came out, and it was about it was just afterwards, and so we've got the lines in the Dark Knight. I was like, he's the he's the he's the uh, he's the hero we need, but not the one, hero we deserve, but not the one we need right now. Mm. And I can't remember who it was, but there's a sketch, and they're talking about George Clooney's Batman, and he, they say the line, "He's the Batman we deserve, but not the one we need right now." <laughs> And that's why they went for, you know, it's like that. That's the sketch. There's elements that are somewhat, I think, I think given, given a better script, I think Clooney could have been a good Batman. I think it's, it's past it at this stage. Ben Affleck's Batman, I liked. It's Uh, just, again, unfortunately, the script surrounding it. Yeah. I mean, everyone, I mean, when everyone on the internet got upset about Batfleck and I was like, I can see it. And again, like we've already said, I actually don't mind his portrayal. It's the it's everything around him, like you say, it's that's wrong in those movies. It's not Affleck. Robert Pattinson's Batman's good. I mean, but as far as far as further watching, I would I would watch the animated series, um, hundred percent. I would definitely watch the animated movies of The Dark Knight Returns. They're highly entertaining. Um, as long as you like cartoons, I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would. Definitely check out the the Burton Batman movies. Um, I would check out. I would check out the Prestige. He's <laughs> not really not really related. Other than he's got Christian Bale in it, and you know, obviously, yeah. I think if you want, Nolan, it's a great movie. I um, think if you want to watch Christian Bale in an action film, I think there's only one other action film he's in, which is Terminator Salvation, which is highly underrated. Yeah, horrifically underrated. Mm. Uh, I think, I think that you know, there's great, there's great other work of Christian Bale. If mm. you, if you want to see a bit more meat on the bone, shall we say something like The Machinist again, mm-hmm. The Prestige. Yeah. Uh, not to keep it all Nolan based. Yeah. But yeah, The Machinist, American Psycho. Uh, I think it, it's difficult because when it's something that's so integrated in a universe, shall yeah. we say. It's hard not to just say, just go watch Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Do you like the Batman movies? Yeah. You should watch more Batman yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, it's kind of... Yeah. If, if, yeah. You, if there's you're not, not... There's not much similar out there you can really yeah. recommend. You know, you you can you can't recommend the Marvel movies if you like the Batman movies. Just not how it works. They're, yeah, not, they're not the same. You can be they're based on comic books, but they're very different films very different comic books marvel versus dc is a war as old as time you know what i mean it's the, they're not the same things you know i think probably maybe logan you like yeah you Lo- watch logan's, logan's probably a good the, movie. the closest yeah. kind of version of mm. a marvel film as you will get to the dark yeah. knight trilogy and that, and that is 
it's not, I wouldn't say it's based in realism, but the, it, there's a... It's gritty. A gritty tone yeah, to yeah. it, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and I, th- I think as well, we mentioned it briefly, uh, in terms of a gritty kind of tone to it. Uh, Watchmen, I like... Yeah, I think it's a good movie. I think you could. I think you've probably taken an hour, hour, hour of the runtime out of it in the middle, where mm. it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, I think but I, I th- again, I think that's got some dark tones to it. And you know, on the on the whole, is I mean, if you ask Alan Moore, he'll tell you, "Don't go and watch it. Read my <laughs> yeah, comment." Yeah. Uh, so it's really, yeah, it has to kind of be Batman, really, as as you as your jumping off point. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I, you know I mentioned the games. If you want to go into a different media format, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, try try the Arkham Asylum game if you haven't already. Mm. If you're into games, obviously, if you're not, probably not for you. Yeah, but that's a good a good start starting point as well. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. If, yeah, if you're not sure where to start with the comics, get the Killing Jokes. Great, all the classics, all the ones everyone's heard of. Killing Joke, you know, Dark Knight Returns. Uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know. Um, what's the one I've got over there? That one. It's good. <laughs> um, yeah. Batman, really, isn't it? I think that sums it up. The Mark O'Kane, Lane Main, Tangerine Machine, for all your choosing needs. Had extra large capacity capable of juicing tangerines the size of a child. Order now to receive your complimentary bottle of Michael Caine's tangerine hot sauce. It blows your bloody back doors off. The Michael Caine Tangerine Hot Sauce Company. So that was Bury Our Bones with for this week. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us in all the usual social media places as Bury Our Bones With. So please do come by, say hi and send us your comments. Until next time, I've been Jimmy Murphy, he's been Ryan Eglinton and this has been Bury Our Bones With The Dark Knight. Me, Jimmy Murphy, we <laughs> Murphy. <clears throat> Hello. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and just remember, this could be the podcast. 
that we deserve. That you need. But not the one you need right now. 